Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Well, hello, and we're back where the big boys play. Uh, once again, I'm joined by Chad. How are you doing, Chad? Doing pretty good today, Parv. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm back with my cup of tea. Feels like the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I guess we should apologize for our for our increasing spottiness here, but uh, we're both very busy, aren't we, Chad? You... Yeah. Uh, and it's it's tough to say whether I th- I, th- I think it may get better for a uh, a little bit, but then with uh, my uh, child coming in September, who knows? But uh, ho- hopefully, the month of May, June, and the summer will be uh, more kind to the place to be nation network podcast as well as our own podcast as far as getting some stuff out yeah okay uh well uh we're still in 1991 here and um today we're going to be looking at wrestle war um before we get on to that though chad did you watch wrestlemania we should uh, we should uh, quickly mention this yeah so uh so wrestlemania for the second year in a row, I was able to attend live. Um, this year was a bit different because I was literally only in New Orleans for the show. Uh, I, I drove in and checked into my hotel about 5 p.m. local time and then uh, had to drive immediately to the arena. Uh, went to the show, went straight back to our hotel, which was about 15 minutes away from downtown New Orleans, fell asleep, and then the next morning I went to Texas on a family trip. Wow. You are a jet setter these days, uh, Chad. You don't uh, you don't stick around for it. All, all business, Chad Campbell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, this so, was... So how, uh, how was it there, live? Um, so I would say live that this was the best wrestling show I've ever been to live. Right. Um, I, I, I thought the atmosphere combined with the actual show made it an amazing experience. I was really happy I got to see live. Uh, I thought, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, some, I think the biggest takeaway will be the Undertaker losing. And I don't, I don't think in some ways that's getting enough, uh, I mean, of course, it, it's been talked about, but I don't think it's really been talked about that much. I mean, you're talking about a 22-year-in-the-making thing, and even if you say, well, they didn't really start talking about the street the way we know it now until WrestleMania 18 versus Ric Flair, that's still 12 years that they made this streak a big deal. Uh, and tw- That's 12 matches, you know, that it was very important um and and something that i mean you think about the championships in wrestling history i don't think you have like a 12 year run 
of, of something that important or especially a 22 year run. Well, I, th- I think, I mean, um, on the old kayfabe memories board, some people were comparing the Undertaker loss to, um, when Ivan Koloff beat Bruno Sammartino right, back in, right. and it's like you literally have to go back to 1971 to find a match, which is, was a shocking to the fans who were there. Because I, I don't think anybody was expecting Ivan to be uh, to be Bruno back then, and it, I mean that moment of um, you know of the of the fans stunned faces and things, probably one of the best moments I can ever remember seeing as a as a fan. Yeah. But it was so so my argument. Moment. So my argument to uh, kind of the the match sucked, which I don't think the match was very good, but. I don't think Hulk versus Andre from WrestleMania three, yeah. you know, as, as a nuts and bolts match is very good either. And it's carried by the moment. And I think you can do the same thing for this match. Right. Okay. No, no, I, I, I actually, I actually didn't think it was that. I thought it told a pretty compelling story. Undertaker's clearly done. He's clearly mm-hmm. not. He's clearly, um, you know, this is one match too far. Lesnar's got too much for him. And even Undertaker's best best effort isn't going to be enough. And I thought I thought that was a really. I mean, I think of all the people on the board, I seem to be one of the ones who was higher on that match. Even the match itself, you know, I didn't think it sucked that badly. Yeah, like, yeah. What, what do you, think, what do you, you expect out of it? One. I'm probably I was probably the highest on that match out of anyone. But uh, all right, you know, I thought that was an amazing moment. But did you pop for Hogan? Uh, well, I mean, Hogan coming out. I mean, the the, the opening promo was a, a really cool moment to be at live, just mm. because I think if you do a Mount Rushmore, um, I'm I'm writing uh, an article that'll be on Place to Be Nation with the Mount Rushmore of singles and uh, tag teams, mm. and I, I I limited mine to U.S. and Canada. Really, you know. Uh, yeah. WWF, WWE, stuff like that, and WCW, and maybe Jerry Lawler as a wild card. But I'd say besides someone like Jerry Lawler, or even even I don't think Bockwinkle, he was, you know, of course, a big standard bearer in the AWA, but I don't feel like he has the same notoriety when you start talking about a Mount Rushmore of wrestling just confined to the U.S. and Canada as someone even like Randy Savage. Are you talking about drawing there, Chad, rather than like wrestling ability? I kind of I did a mixture of uh, drawing, uh, household name, marketability, overall legacy kind of both with online and mainstream mm. and, then, and then a little bit of uh match quality and stuff like that at the end so that's that's what would help uh, lawler because for his territory in memphis i think he's still a very recognizable name of course on a national scale he's not as recognizable as even someone like the ultimate warrior mm. but uh but so that's kind of what my mixture going in was when I picked my four guys. But I mean, spoiler alert: the three guys in the opening promo uh, are included. It's <laughs> three of the four. That, that's a very interesting topic. I might we could probably spend easily three hours just talking about that, Chad. Right. Um. What do you do with guys? Like, I mean, I mentioned Bruno. What do you do with him? Like, right. I mean, he kind of built MSG as, uh, you know, I don't think there's any argument. He was like still in 1980 drawing like Shea Stadium. 
I so I don't know, like I don't know what you do because that was an argument that I saw come up sometimes is like you know Bruno wasn't there and he was sitting there in the crowd. What must you have been think? But it's it's difficult to compare eras, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah, I I think it, I find it pretty easy to compare stuff. Um, honestly, for maybe when the the Titans of Wrestling kind of kick in, actually, right, yeah. um, like like when WWWF changes to WWF, I kind of can see it from that point on yeah. being uh, pretty easy. But yeah, up to that point. It's really tough to gauge, like someone like a Bruno during his first title reign, uh, someone like Luthez. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, we have the figures, but um, it, it's just really tough to gauge kind of how important they were. So, so hold on now. Uh, given that this is where the big boys play, Ric Flair's not in your Mount Rushmore. Okay, so Ric Flair also is in contention. I don't want to spoil who right. the fourth guy was. I have, uh, I have, a, I had about four four people fighting for the fourth spot. Mm-hmm. I think you have, I think you have to include Flair, but uh, Flair to me is so tough because I I don't know what the sports equivalent is to Ric Flair. But it it feels like maybe in basketball, like a uh, uh, I don't really know. I don't really know if there is an equivalent where I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people do know who Ric Flair is. Yeah. But uh, again, I th- him versus Macho Man, I think is is really close, and I don't necessarily know who uh, which one would be more household namey recognizable I, stuff like that well, i mean I, I can only like so i don't know the american sport so well but like in football terms my thought with rick flair is that he's somebody like a ryan giggs or a paolo maldini like guys who had very long careers guys who are were incredibly decorated guys who within football fans they'd probably say well they're you know in contention to be the greatest player but like probably you you know somebody who isn't into football doesn't know them so well like i mean i i guess everybody's heard of Ryan Giggs right but um uh like they don't have the household uh, name kind of status of, of a david beckham or you know somebody like that yeah like even a pele um or, or pele yeah. right yeah 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 i would agree with that that's kind of what i was i was going with that i mean it's certainly not as much of a household name as a hulk hogan i, I kind of use uh you know sometimes when we talk about this stuff i use like my wife as an example as a litmus test mm-hmm. and uh even beyond that now i have a uh, uh you know a, a co-worker who immigrated from mexico and so i every once in a while i talk to her about lucha but her perception as far as american wrestling is is very you know very limited to the rock and hulk hogan i mean that's i I don't want to push your hand though chad right but our friend uh chris harrington who uh who does some great work uh which um i'd recommend uh people check out he does like the stats and analysis of wrestling right um now, if you look at his figures, though, Flair is easily the number two draw of the 80s, uh, easily. Um, so, and so that's um, – but I don't know whether he's easily the number two draw through just number – sheer number of shows. Or I, I think, like, if you look at, like, um, Gates over 10,000 or whatever, he's still there, Flair. 
So, um, you, uh, like, based on drawing power, wouldn't you? I don't know. Like, I, 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 mean, I don't think I don't think you can say Flair was not a draw. He certainly was, and this again gets into. We may do a special podcast about this once we get it, but that I mean, if if Flair draws 11,000 to a show in an arena that has 15,000, you know, whether you compare that to Lawler averaging, I don't know how much he averaged over the 80s, but uh, let's say like seven, 8,000 in the same arena every week. Mm. It's, it's, it's kind of a debate of which one of those you value more. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think you can argue both points of that. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, no, I'd be very interested to see that uh, article um, when it's done. I, well, I, I, yeah, I don't know how the tally-in's going, but I, I will say this may be my kind of preconceived bias going in with the uh, people, but uh, I, I would expect to see Hogan, Austin, Rock, and then uh, I'd, I'd actually think Ric Flair will probably end up being the number four guy if I had to pick four when all the vo- votes are tallied. I think for the singles, that'll be there. I think the tag team's very wide open. I, I, I don't even know who I'm picking. I'm writing I'm writing oh, that is, stuff today. Is this thing done by vote? Yeah, well, everybody kind of submits their own list, and then I think we'll have, like, our overall, uh, you know, kind of average of the 10 to 15 people that are participating. Oh, man, I don't want to be disparaging to, to, the, uh, to the masses there, but that tag team one's going to be brutal. I just know. I remember that tag team tournament you guys did on the forums there, and it was just like Jesus Christ. Yeah, there may be some uh, heart foundation and some demolition Demol- coming in. Gee, give me a break. Yeah, give me a break. Okay, I mean, like I can name the well, much more uh, tag teams now. You know, Midnight Express is uh, if Midnight Express isn't on there, then um, you know you may have to like. Can't you pull an editorial? Chad, like place to be has got a rep to uh, to keep up. You need Midnight Express on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> it's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra, Wrestling Observer Extra. with Dave Meltzer. Uh, anyway, shall we uh, shall we move on to the Meltzers? Uh, sure. All right. So um, we're we're st- so we left off. Uh, Clash 14 was uh, late January. I think it was like January 30th or something. Right. So yeah, we're, we're picking back up February 11th, um, 1991, and uh, um, I only have three um, three kind of issues here of um, Meltzer, but he's got a huge amount of news in in, in all of them. So uh, um, we'll, let's see how long this takes. Yeah, um, there's only uh, two torches. Um, two only torches. torch 108 and 109. Uh, they're dated February 14th and February 21st, and then there's the torch that reviews the actual show. All right, well, let's alternate. That's fun. Okay. Okay. So, uh, first, starting off then, um, the March 21st Tokyo Dome card will air as a pay-per-view event on April right. the 7th uh, for $9.95, aimed at hardcore fans. Now, that's not a bad deal, is it? $9.95. Yeah, uh, Keller had a note on that too, and also uh, I wrote that down because I did thought that was a very fair price. Um, I mean, I mean, stuff 
that's I don't know how how much of a that's a, what about an eighteen day, almost three week tape delay. But we're talking about nineteen ninety one. It's not like you could get the pay per view results uh, instantaneous on Twitter like you can now. So right, it seems seems very fair to me. I mean, you might necessarily know who won the Flair Fujinami match ahead of time if you're really you know, a hardcore fan that subscribes to the Torch and the Observer, mm. but still feels like ten dollars is a fair price to watch the matches. Yeah, of course, these days you can get the WWE Network for ten dollars, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but still, uh, that's a very good price. And um, the um, yeah, the other thing I thought is interesting that they are serving the hardcore fans like that. Yeah, yeah. This is an interesting kind of. Um, I guess partnership that they try to pro- portray the next uh, year or so mm. with New Japan. It seems like a very big cater to the hardcore fans. And it's also like a little prototype run for the future uh, kind of New Japan crossover, which I guess gets bigger in the because uh, they keep it going, don't they? The New Japan relationship. Yeah, they uh, really up to I don't even know when it vanquished totally because even in 2000? Like yeah, I mean, even in, like, 2000, you still had Muda and Chono coming in every once in a while. Well, I remember, like, Mike, Mike Rotunda spent ages as, like, in, like, the Japan wing of the NWO or yeah. whatever. Yeah, Scott Norton. <laughs> um, Arn Anderson pulled his groin muscle and will be out for two weeks. Uh, more on that story later. I have to say that I always get confused with this show, Chad. And um, I, for some reason when I was watching it, thought that Arm was injured because of the scissors incident with Sid. Oh, yeah. But that happens like two years later. So Yeah, yeah, late 93. Um, yeah, and, and Keller, I don't know, he must have not have been in on the scoop with this because he's pretty oblivious. Um, he he so. didn't know. Does, didn't Keller read Meltzer? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't I don't understand what was going on, but in both, both issues, I saw no mention of Anderson not being in the match, so... Um, the uh, the Steiner brothers and Missy Hyatt have uh, been re-signed. Hyatt's been given a one-year contract extension, um, which is good news, I guess. Um, Steiner's key players, obviously, for them. Um, and I guess Missy, well, they're, they're ramping up here on air roll uh, at the moment. Um, Mike Graham has been hired as a road agent. Um, now, I have to say I hate Mike Graham. Uh, <laughs> I just think he's a dick. What do you, what do you, do you ever watch those Legends of Wrestling, like the early Legends of Wrestling shows? Yeah, he comes off as a, uh, uh, well, he did come off, he's passed away now, as a very bitter man. Mike, uh, Mike Graham passed away? Yeah. When did that happen? Um, Sorry, I didn't laugh. Well, yeah, because it, it was actually, I mean, it was tragic because he uh, ended up taking his own life. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah, oh, sorry, I do, I do remember that. Yeah, so it was... Uh, I mean, someone that lived a, you could tell, a very troubled life. Uh, you, you can tell you could tell on those shows that he was very conscious of the fact that he, he hadn't quite made it as much as he wanted to, and he was right. small as a wrestler and living in his dad's shadow and all of that. So, but yeah, um, it, 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 despite all of that, sad, sad story, boo-hoo, but he was still a dick. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the Grams almost now are equal i mean as the von erics because 
you have Eddie and Mike, and then actually Mike's son also uh, committed suicide. Oh God! So, so that's that's Christ. three that's three in a row. Really troubled lineage there. On a lighter note, Eddie Graham does did look cool as hell. If you have a look at pictures of him from back in yes. the day, very cool looking man. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of cool men, <laughs> Sandy Scott is no longer with the company. <laughs> Uh, They haven't wheeled him out for a while, have they? No, he has not. uh, He has not made his little special appearance walking around. Not maybe for like a decade now, but um, I just find it really funny that he was still hanging out in that company. He'd obviously like come over with Crockett and was still hanging around, and somebody probably realised, who is this guy? like, uh, I wonder what Sandy Scott's duties were in early 1991 before he left. <laughs> no telling. Um, uh, Billy Jack Haynes is negotiating to come in. Uh, good wrestler? No. Do you like yeah. Billy Jack Haynes, John? I haven't seen probably his a lot of his premiere stuff, which is from Portland. Right. Uh, never, never, from what I have seen, though, over the years, not a big fan. Very jacked up guy. Yeah, kind of just a muscle dude. Isn't he the one who plays like the fake funk brother or something? Doesn't he come in as? Is, am I thinking of the right guy there? Oh, yeah, I think that is Billy Jack who did end up doing that. Yeah. Okay. Al Green is gone. Uh, yeah, no big loss there. Uh, Paulie Dangerously will now host the Saturday show, even though Dusty is doing color on the next pay per view. And Meltzer says it's a touchy subject because everyone knows that Dusty didn't do a great job on the Clash. Um, and one thing I will say about these Meltzers uh, at the moment is that um, you can tell that Dave has got an axe to grind with. Like, he doesn't like Dusty Rhodes. And it comes through very strong in all of these newsletters now. Any possible, any moment where he can take a dig, he does. So I don't know what Dusty did to Meltzer, but clearly they don't like, um, he doesn't like, uh, he doesn't like him. Um, the WF has pulled out the Meadowlands Arena. So WCW was offered eight dates over uh, has been offered eight dates over the next twelve months. Meltzer thinks there's more to this because why would the WF pull out of a venue that makes them money? But he doesn't know like what the deal is here. So that's quite interesting. Um, Meadowlands traditional uh, wrestling arena. Why would the yeah. WF pull out? Yeah, I don't I don't quite know what like underseated thing they could have planned for pulling out, but. I don't know. I don't think anything ever really comes of it. No. Um, the Southern Boys uh, are to be rebranded as the Young Pistols. Uh, they wanted to call them the Young Guns, but the name is trademarked. So, <laughs> when did that ever stop them before, you know? Yeah. Um, on the WCW hotline, Tony Schiavone mentioned that Mike Rotunda left the company over dispute with management over money, which... Um, Seems like uh, Tony's got this line in like breaking kayfabe on the hotline. <laughs> um, the planned skit with Missy Hyatt trying to get into the locker room apparently is a spoof on a Boston reporter who was harassed by a few Patriots players. Um, I have no idea what that news story is, but apparently they're being topical there. Um, more on that Missy Hyatt locker room yeah, stuff later. Yeah. Well, say we'll see that coming to play with the show today. Um, Teddy Long is on a 30-day suspension because yes. he's been uh, tested positive for a painkiller. Oh. And uh, I've just written here, like, what? Why don't they test the entire locker room for cocaine, let alone painkillers? Cocaine! 
Have you seen some of these guys? Like, so there we go. Teddy Long got the short end of the uh, short end of the straw there, I guess. But because, um, uh, yeah. Now this is where Meltzer <sighs> is superior to Keller because Keller had that story. But for, first off, he says three weeks, so they have varying suspension times. Yeah. And, and then he just said a drug violation. He didn't specify. So I was very curious as to what Teddy pet, uh, tested positive for. Because <laughs> in the torch, it just says a drug violation. So I didn't know if it was, uh, you know, uh, recreational or otherwise. Man, if you look at that locker room, they're, they're, they're bound to be on, like, more than painkiller, some of those guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, cheeky baby's still back there, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no truth uh, to the Iron Man story that the Weeders are going to help distribute the WCW newsstand magazine, although a deal is in the works with GC London, who are the company that does the Aftermags. So, uh, there we go. Uh, Dustin Rhodes debuted as The Natural, and uh, we're going to have a uh, look at him... Uh, in a moment, and uh, Dustin Rhodes, I'll just say quickly, is uh, one guy that I would say is a PWO darling. Did you say that's true, Chad? Oh, yeah. I, I, a guy that's kind of um, re- really interesting career arc. I mean, we'll, f- we'll follow the first half of it and then end up kind of getting some stuff through the uh, through his middle years by the time we make it to 2000, but... Uh, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to follow his career almost from the start. Mm. And I'm I'm looking uh, forward to rewatching some of those uh, Dustin matches because uh, with kind of fresh eyes type thing. Cause, right. Uh, I was never that high on him uh, years ago, you know. Um, but maybe as a the smarter fan, uh, I'll see what's worth in him. <laughs> um, they did an interview uh, between El Gigante and Paulie Dangerously recently where uh, El Gigante shoves dangerously down and then later comes back on air in a sling. So um, I think they're definitely going to use the giant now. Uh, and he's, <laughs> he has a little appearance on this show as well. Yeah. Um, they did a gimmick with Doug Dillinger and Big Josh, where Big Josh uh, was, yeah. ta- was taken to jail with handcuffs uh, for running out of the crowd into the ring. Tommy Rich then begged them not to press charges. Big Josh broke the handcuffs and then acted like a total mark in the ring, pretending not to know how to work at all. And then um, Meltzer says, Dusty should have saved this role for bringing in Tugboat, so the role would be a shoot. So that's a little, <laughs> that's a little quip by Meltzer there. <laughs> have you seen that? That sounds, uh, that sounds bizarre, that big Josh. Uh, this, this is, I have seen this. This is one of the dumbest things uh, you, you, can, you can think, because... Uh, yeah, Big Josh kind of it's portrayed as as uh, Tommy Rich's lumberjack buddy that got overzealous and then just dies into the ring. He gets scurried away with Doug Gillinger as Tommy Rich pleads his case for him, and um, and then then actually uh, Matt, which Big Josh is Matt Bourne. Uh, Big Josh then proceeds to like look directly at the camera on an interview with Jim Ross and like wave to his family at home and at like a complete mark and it's it's an embarrassing affair all around. Yeah, yeah, I mean it does sound terrible. uh, Well, by like three weeks too, he was throwing drop kicks and all this stuff, so so he must have picked up (laughs) the craft really quickly. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting the Meltzer mentioned Tugboat there because wasn't that exactly his deal as well? That was basically like wasn't Tugboat meant to be just like a fan, like a, a yeah, a, a fan of Hulk Hogan or something? Hogan's friend, yeah, that came yeah. in. I, I guess Meltzer had a point. It was more believable with with uh, with Fred Ottman than it was with uh, with uh, Matt Bourne, who's actually a decent wrestler, you know. <laughs> yeah, and should I mean. Certainly not like well well known, but it, pretty well known by this point should have been Matt Bourne. Yeah. <clears throat> um, looking forward to seeing more Big Josh. Um, well, Matt Bourne's an interesting guy because in some stuff that you've watched of his, uh, like the Rat Pack Mid South stuff, he's he's very impressive. And then his Doink stuff from his 1993 is is something that. I, I, f- I found the gimmick cool as a kid watching it live, but you go back and watch those matches and the angles and the psychological aspects he added to the character at the very beginning. It's really creepy, advanced, dark stuff. Uh, so, so I think Big Josh is probably his worst role almost in his, in his wrestling career. Probably the, the, the role that had the least amount of depth. And I watched a couple of his, what you might think would be signature TV matches. Uh, he has a very long match with Steve Austin uh, in the fall, which which was solid, but nothing that you won't see every week now in WWE. So, so pretty disappointed so far in the Big Josh stuff I've seen. He has a couple of 1992 matches. There's a match with Arn Anderson. It's two out of three falls that we may watch as part of our TV special for 92 when we get there. Right. Um, and Doug Dillinger, is this our first look at him? He's like, uh, Yeah, I think he's been roaming around. I don't know if we've mentioned him yet, but, of course, he's kind of becomes one of the the uh, WCW characters throughout its lifetime. If, do, do you know anything about him? If, if, if any listeners know, like, where did he come from? Who is he? Like, um was he just like a, a Turner guy, or like did, where did they find him? Yeah, I would guess he was a legitimate. I mean, from from all accounts, he was you know the shoot kind of security guy. Oh, he so genuinely I, was like the like the like the bald guy off Jerry Springer or something. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> he was basically in the you know the Sergeant Slaughter role or the um, who else is it who comes out. I guess Tony yeah. Tony Gurria comes out quite a lot as well, doesn't he? <laughs> Tony Gurria, kind of, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, but but he also, you know, like Tony would be in the back and then would would shove people out if needed. Doug Dillinger, even when he wasn't doing an on air role, you'd see him kind of cr- uh, lurking in the crowd and looking over stuff. Right. Okay. So Doug Gillinger was a was a shoot security guy. We're saying. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't know why I find that so funny, but um, there we go. <laughs> um, but he, he was involved with this angle here. I wonder if he got extra, like for being involved in the Big Josh angle. Yeah, on air talent. <laughs> um, uh, Brian Pillman, Brian, Brian did a uh, he did a stretcher job um, with all four horsemen doing a number on him. Um, so he'll be going to the War Games with a neck injury. And we actually get a clip of this on the uh, on the pay-per-view, don't we, of this uh, angle? Yeah, they they taped that, I guess, a couple of weeks before it aired. But this actually aired the night before the uh, pay-per-view. And it was, it was a really neat angle because what happened was all the uh, Sting and the Steiners were already in Phoenix, quote-unquote. 
So the horsemen were able to use that to their advantage and attack Pillman and, and Keller in the torch. Uh, knowing that this happened at the tapings, he actually thinks that Dustin Rhodes is going to replace Pillman in the match at this point. What what, what a mock. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They are instituting a new six-man tag belt, which uh, I I mean, I couldn't be more against anything in my life than than having a six-man championship. Um, in fact, I see no value in the six-man belt at all, unless unless it's a made like I guess maybe in Texas where they did a lot of them, or maybe in like Lucha where they have the trios matches. But I, I see no value in them in 1991 WCW. Um, uh, yeah, did you have any views on that, Chad? Well, well, certainly not with who's competing for them. I mean, I mean, as as you'll see in our opener, it is not a rich assortment of talent that's going after these belts. So, devalues it. Do you think there'd be any value in them now where you've got, like, two three-man groups with the Wyatts and the Shield? Yeah, well, th- yeah, so this, we're, we're recording this show on a Saturday. Uh, tomorrow, the main event of a WWE pay-per-view is a six-man tag between two groups that are trios, uh, which sounds crazy to think about in retrospect. But, yeah, right now, in modern WWE, is probably the most valued uh, a six man or a trios groups have been, and I I can remember for a North uh, for a U.S. Yeah, company. But stables are usually four, aren't they? In uh, yeah, I, in U.S. I would say uh, at least since the Von Erickson World Class. So yeah. or the free uh, or the Freebirds, I guess. Right, Freebirds. Right. Yeah, or uh, ninety one Demolition. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, anyway, the match is going to take place on February the 17th at the Omni between Tommy Rich, uh, Ricky Morton, and JYD on one side with an unannounced three-man team. Uh, more on that later as to who the opponents were there. <laughs> um, I note here, just in passing, so obviously I'm not mentioning all of the cards uh, that melts the list, but on a January 18th card in Kansas... JYD, Junk Food Dog, pinned the Iron Sheik in what Dave calls an awful match. Um, and during this match, they made the announcement that Sheik has nothing to do with the current events in the Persian Gulf, which is really weird. Like, why do they bother making that announcement? And I, I'm, I can only guess it's because Sheik himself insists, like, was going up to the ring announcer and insisting that they say this. Well, as we'll find out in a couple months when he joins the WWF, that's a lie because he, <laughs> he uh, does have a lot to do with what's going on in the Persian Gulf. Colonel Mustafa working the angle as early as January there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can only imagine how awful that match was. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Um, I wonder if Iron Sheik did his gut wrench suplex on JYD. Uh, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, TBS are going to be uh, getting more penetration in Canada soon, apparently. Um, uh, TV ratings are way down from a year ago. And Melter says that if people want to point to the recession as uh, being something that's stopping people from going to the live shows, then by that same logic, the TV ratings should be up, but they aren't, which I thought was a really good point um, by Melter, well made. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, yeah. The product doesn't feel hot. I mean, I mean, this show is interestingly composed and 
watching it as a, a hardcore fan and looking back in retrospect, it's it's fun to watch and there's there's a lot going on, but you do get a sense from what we've watched both with the Clash and with this show that this is a a, a product that's really struggling. Um, a lot of things aren't quite working in a business standpoint. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think they've really suffered from continual changes of direction and stuff as well in the past, like well, really since 1989, I would say. Yeah. Um, I agree with it's that. been a very inconsistent product to, to watch. Um, do you want to go ahead with the next torch? Well, that uh, it's Torch 108, February 14th, and you hit on um, both both the torches didn't have any, I guess, highlights on the WCW front. Uh, you know, like the biggest thing that the torches have had going for them is cool interviews mm. and some editorial pieces. There was some dusty uh, burial editorial pieces in this torch, which were okay, but not Keller's best stuff. And then he was talking about how the Super Brawl at this point was maybe either going to happen at the Omni or in Tokyo. Right. And that was okay. the only other little tidbit from the stuff that you didn't mention. That's Torch 108. Right. Okay. Um, so let's move on then. February the 18th. Um, and oh, the one thing I won't mention is interesting that Keller is also burying Dusty. I think it's easy to forget that, you know, hardcore fans, like smart fans um, or internet fans, like these are obviously the equivalent of the modern day internet fans, right? The, or the the guys writing these newsletters here? Yes. But, yeah. I guess on the hardest of the hardcore. They've always been negative, right? There are always going to be people. So these days, people bury Triple H or whatever. At this point, it's clear to see that people are on Dusty's back all the time. You know? It's like nothing he can do is right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dusty, I think, is someone that's just been. Uh, feels like he's just been kind of like around for too long and rehash too many things so everybody's just sick of him as far as Keller Meltzer yeah. probably most of the hardcore communities is concerned yeah but they, 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 I guess what I'm saying is there tends to be this thing where they need to have people like there's there's usually some negativity around like there's always somebody to bash type things in there I mean, right. if, it, if it wasn't Dusty it'd be someone else getting it right I, I would agree with that sure yeah. um, so February the 18th and the breakup of Doom took place on the February the 5th TV taping in Gainesville that will air on March the 2nd. Uh, and I guess this is going to be a theme for the next few years for us, stuff happening before it happens, um, which uh, Melton says pretty much gives away the result of the tag title match um, coming up on the pay-per-view. He says that the May 19th pay-per-view will be um, from the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg, Florida, and it will be called Wrestle WrestleBatch... <laughs> WrestleBash yes. 91. <laughs> <laughs> that same note, WrestleBash. WrestleBash 91, Return from the Rising Sun, which obviously is not true at all. Uh, but he says it will include a lot of New Japan wrestlers, um, which I guess is true. Well, at least Fujinami uh, was there. Yeah, but also not very true at all. Because <laughs> it only... I, I don't think... Does Muta come back at... Super Bowl, I can't remember now. Uh, I don't think he is he, at he Super was, Bowl. He's in the crowd at this show. Yeah, he's at the crowd for this show, but I don't think he's at. Uh, he's not at Super Bowl. No, I'm looking up the card right now. I didn't remember him, but that's a pretty 
hefty card. It's a, it's a, it's a 12-match card. I, I will say, just as a sneak peek, my view is that Super Bowl is like the best pay-per-view for the next couple of years. It's, it's like, I say best pay it's, it's one of the show that seems to be really solid for like the first three, four years of its uh, existence. Usually a very solid show, Super Brawl. Yeah, Super Brawl, uh, they certainly picked a better name. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought Super Brawl was uh, WCW's WrestleMania. Oh. I, I didn't, I, 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 I didn't realize that... Uh, well, it's cause, I think it's because they always screwed up Starcade. Like, Starcade is just always, like, devoted to some shitty tournament or... Like, Super Brawl felt like a major deal to me. And I guess because I had a vague idea that the Super Bowl was a big deal, so I, I guess it carried over. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, I didn't think it was one of their biggest, but it, it felt like kind of like the Big Four, um, probably the equivalent of a of a Survivor Series in yeah. the WCW stand front. So, I mean, definitely you'd say Halloween Havoc, Starcade, um, Super Brawl. What would the fourth one be there? Eventually, uh, I'd give it the Spring Stampede, I guess, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird. The WCW uh, events are weird, right? Um, yeah, I mean, because cause, uh, later on, Bash at the Beach, I mean, they used yeah. Bash at the Beach for huge events uh, with Hogan coming into the company, yeah. Hogan turning heel, Rodman. Did- Overall, you'd have to say it's Bash at the Beach as the, as, uh, as oh, part of the big four there. Yeah, I would probably say if you look at their whole um, history, it's Halloween Havoc, Starcade, Super Brawl, and Bash at the Beach. Yeah. Those four were kind of the most consistent big shows year in, year out. Yeah. So Four Brawl's not a bad show either. I guess it's because that, that kind of starts off as a clash, though, really, doesn't it? Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, they used the ta- uh, clash tagline, and then they move War Games there in 93. Right, um, Arn's uh, groin muscle strain um, is a day-to-day thing, and at the moment it's touch and go, and he does actually have a little match at some point, uh, I think against Pillman, um, but yeah, he's struggling on at the moment with that injury. Um, he does say that the Wyndham and Anderson versus Armstrong and Horner match from TBS last week ranks with the Rockers versus the Orient Express as the match of the year so far. Uh, which really is like Armstrong and Horner. Uh, have you seen that match? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a good match. It's definitely a good match. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's on the level of uh, of the Orients versus Rockers, but but it's it's certainly really fun. And Anderson and Barry working as a team is pretty good around this point because they actually had a match also with Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich, a tag match that was good as well. I'm guessing that was taped before the, the groin strain. Yeah, more than likely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, advance uh, for Wrestle War uh, is uh, 1,500 tickets uh, in a building that holds 16,000. So, doing very well. <laughs> um, and uh, Melter says, WF is in town the night before in one of those strange coincidences that always seems to happen. <laughs> so... Vince, Vince still being a dick, obviously. Um, like you can see Vince doing that. Right, let's run our show right next to theirs in the same yeah. town, <laughs> and we'll, you know, we'll stick Hogan in there or whatever. Um, Dusty is apparently going to give Pillman a super push as the new Magnum TA, 
since Scott Steiner's stock as a singles guy has gone down. Um, and also, Scott Steiner wants to keep working tags anyway. Um, Mike Graham is now coaching Pillman backstage, so that's interesting. Um, and you can definitely see on this show that Pillman is positioned as a star, I would say, a star in the making. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would say he, he seems like someone that's really on the rise and poised at this point to become a big star in the company in the next couple of years. Um, the opponents for Rich Morton and JFD at the Omni. Oh, God. Can uh, you just say JYD? I mean, Chuck uh, <laughs> <laughs> Food Dog has got to be the most Meltzer joke that just is enough's enough already. He won't let it go, will he? <laughs> I know. I mean, it is like we're, we're what, six months in to where he, he just calls him JFD. I think he's calling him JFD back in, like, 85 and stuff. Like, uh, that's, like, a very long running joke with him. Um, horrible. Anyway, the opponents are Dr. X, who is Randy Cully, uh, formerly of the Moondogs back in the day, um, Dutch Mantel, and Buddy Landell. And uh, Meltzer is in very sarcastic mood in February 1991, because he says, these two teams, I guess, were the finalists in the grueling worldwide tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can only imagine how great that match was as well. Um, Anyway. Um... And there's a yet more casual kind of anti-Dusty stuff from Meltzer in this issue. He really takes exception to the fact that they're calling the Omni the house that Rhodes built, um, which uh, is a good point, I think. I don't think Dusty can really claim that he built the Omni. Um, I mean, he's not, like... I, they were probably, like, Tommy Rich, I guess, or the Andersons, or... Yeah, it certainly feels like bigger names. I mean, Dusty was huge in Atlanta, but... I built the Omni seems a little extreme. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, what? Did, who else did like Georgia Legends, like, back in the day? I guess, um, I want to say... Well, you had the Buzz Sawyer. Buzz um, Sawyer, yeah. Had a big run, and even other, other people kind of rotating in. I mean, Flair, of course, was huge there uh, when he would come in. So, a kind of rotation of big guys. I want to say it was a big tag territory as well, though. But there was like, who, who were like the faces that go up against the Andersons back in the day? It must have been, mm, I must mean, have been a big... Yeah, there was kind of a collection of different people. Wahoo? Was he a big Georgia guy? Not, I don't think he was extreme, but this is a topic I'm sure someone like Chris Zellner. Yeah. Yeah, is it Zellner would... Maybe we should ask Elna to see mm-hmm. uh, to, who would be like the biggest drawing uh, Georgia guy. But certainly, I don't think Rose can say he was uh, it, it was him. <laughs> right. Um, they, and uh, in one of these funny moments, they used a clip to illustrate one of Dusty's great moments at the Omni. So clearly, they were like hyping the fact that Dusty is like this legend, even though he's meant to be off air and backstage or whatever. Um, you know, he's not meant to be like an on-air wrestler at this point. Um, and he said that the, the clip they used to illustrate uh, one of Dusty's great moments of the Omni was from Starcade 86, which actually took place in Greensboro in a match that he lost to Tully Blanchard. So nice work by the editors there. <laughs> and that's, that's it from the February 18th. Oh, so there wasn't a whole lot. Um, okay, so uh, Keller has a couple 
of other things. Uh, Owen Hart's finally coming in, <laughs> which we've heard this before. And Keller says it's to tag with Pillman in a tag team called Wings, um, which which he does come in, but he only wrestles like five five shows, I think, overall. And then the WWF poaches him. Mm. Uh, Gordon Soley is going to be joining Tony as the host of Worldwide. Oh, so so we have that. Well, and also uh, doesn't mention that at all. And then also uh, he's. I guess Dutch Mantel versus Ricky Morton. Keller thought this was scheduled for the pay-per-view, even though I guess uh, had Morton and them won the sixth man by this point because he he goes over his predictions for the card and he writes about it and gives a a prediction for it. Mm, That's interesting because Melter seems to know that the six-man thing is happening quite a bit in advance, so interesting. Yeah, and then and then I can't believe Meltzer didn't mention this, but I thought this story was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently, Ric Flair and a McDonald's had oh, some yeah. co- coffee spilled on him <laughs> and uh, suffered some third degree burns. <laughs> no, yeah, I have uh, I have this note as well. Scalding oh, okay. coffee on them. That's a, that's in uh, that's in the February twenty fifth issue. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd I'd like to see the camera to capture that. Well, event. I was thinking, is that why his leg was taped up? I don't, it's possible. <laughs> I, I just imagine like Flair in his robe uh, getting hot coffee spilled on him and flipping out, like throwing his jacket or something at the people in McDonald's. <laughs> You know, it'd be like uh, Michael Douglas in Falling Down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he was um, apparently, well, Meltzer said he was meant to miss a week, but was already back in action two days later. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> having hot having coffees built on you is not fun, but I can't, I mean, a, a week seems pretty... Uh, it must have been very hot, I guess, that coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anything else? No, nope, that is it. So, well, again, not a lot. <laughs> uh, February the 25th, um, the Steiners won the tag titles from the Freebirds on February the 18th in a match that won't air. <laughs> <laughs> in a match that won't air until March the 9th, which even further gives away the result of the pay-per-view oh, match. Oh, my Lord. He says that the irony of this is that the old-school booker that put this match together, brackets, Dusty, uh, is then probably going to complain about Ellis exposing the business. So uh, he's got a point, though. I mean, like, yeah, that's one of the best, uh, one of the funniest things to do. If you look up the WCW title uh, lineage on Wikipedia, you'll see that the Freebirds actually had a negative six-day <laughs> reign with the belts. Minus <laughs> six-day run. <laughs> But, like, if you were a fan in that arena... And the yeah, it had like, to be so confused. Like, what? What, the Freebirds are the champions? Yeah, you know. it's it, it's bad enough to have, a, a you know, somebody come out with the belts ahead of time or whatever. Um, I, I can understand that, but to but if also... You, if you were an eight-year-old kid, though, that's, that, makes you, that makes you start thinking, hold on, this is not real, is it? This is fake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's definitely a uh, a moment where you can't really stretch your believability. But I, I bet this is one of those things. Like, say, if you're a kid who was at that show and you went into school 
and you were like, oh, I, I saw the Steiners beat the Freebirds for the tag belts. Nobody would believe you. It was like, no, Doom were the champions. You're talking rubbish type thing. Do you think that used to happen? Like people like wouldn't believe the stories that they uh, that they of the things that they saw live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I mean, <laughs> I, in in one regard, I mean, also if they if they did believe all the Black Scorpion nonsense they saw was real. I don't really know what to say about them. But. Um, the Southern Boys debuted as the Young Pistols. Um, okay. Uh, WCW was trying to put together a discussion between Evil Jim Hurd and the newsletter editors on the 900 number for April the 26th. I wonder if they invited Meltzer to that uh, discussion. Um that's really weird. Why would why would Jim Hurd and the newsletter editors want to like? Why would they want that to be on the nine hundred number? Hey, I would guess. I mean, the only thing I can think of is to drum up hits for that, and they don't care having kind of her go back and forth. I mean, I'm sure if I don't know if this actually happened or not, but if it did, I'm sure it was a structured somewhat structured event where it's held like a press conference or something like that. Did, didn't Keller interview Heard at one point? Yeah, Keller, I mean, Heard did a torch talk, so. Right. Okay. He's kind of trying to make good with the uh, newsletter people. Uh, the May pay-per-view uh, will now be called Super Brawl 1, um, and they want it always to be held on a Sunday so they can talk about Super Brawl Sundays. Um and then I've got the Flair story. Oh, and th- this was an interesting... I-, I don't know why he put it in the NWA, uh, in the WCW section here. But um, <laughs> there, is a, there is a football card, okay, of a journeyman player called Terry Owens, who played for the New Orleans Saints in the 1973-74 season, okay? <laughs> and its value... This, so You know that you've got these football cards, right, that people collect? Right. Um, well, Terry Owens, this player, the value of the card has skyrocketed because people believe that Terry Owens is none other than Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these were the same people that were uh, still on the kayfabe, uh, eye to eye with WCW with the, the Freebird stuff. And Meltzer just says, uh, this is kind of a work being put over on football card collectors. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to right now look up Terry Owens. You reckon, I wonder if I can find a picture of this guy. Like, Why would they think he's uh, Hulk Hogan? Even if he does, who would possibly think that uh, Hogan all he, of a sudden looks, was he, a... he looks nothing like Hulk Hogan. Oh, God. Have you seen this guy? No. He, he, was, a tack, he was a tackle for the charge. <laughs> Oh, I I was thinking I was thinking um I I, I thought you meant football like uh like soccer no no which I, which I thought was even more ridiculous like Hogan was out there running around all jacked up on the uh, on the on the soccer field no no he was playing for the New Orleans Saints but like look at this guy he looks nothing like Hulk Hogan at all yeah that's a bizarre I I don't understand how that rumor happened. Man, okay. Well, I guess in the show notes we'll uh, we'll share that picture because he yeah. um, 
That may be our front cover. That's ridiculous. Um, Paulie uh, Dangerously and Missy Hyatt uh, will both be regulars on the Saturday TBS show, which is set to feature new graphics and more spontaneous-looking interviews, harking back to the old days, um, which is good. I, I actually like the Saturday night set that they eventually bring in. Um, fond memories of that. Do they bring yes. it? Do they bring it in here in '91? I, I, my thought is that it's later. Uh, as far as like their kind of center stage set up, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it gets kind of brought in here. So it's uh, they're they're about to be making that transition to what the Saturday night you traditionally think of looks like. Right. Uh, Lex Luger has been pulled from the Tokyo show uh, because of a contract loophole. Melzer says the real reason is because they wanted him to put over Ricky Choshu. Um, and there are conflicting reports on the, the actual reason. Like, So some people think that they found this contract loophole to pull Luger because they didn't want him to be pinned. Um, and other people are saying that there is a legit contract problem here. So he doesn't know. He's going he's gonna to try to find out more. Um, Luger doesn't appear on that show, any, does he? Uh, does he team? He doesn't team with the... No, I don't think he does. No. Yeah, because because uh, Sting faces Muda. So, yeah. And in, in the final uh, piece of news here, and this was interesting, Jim Ross apologized on TV for his chauvinistic remarks about Missy Hyatt at The Clash. Melzer says that this was amazing because he's never seen anything like it uh, in wrestling before and commends Ross for the guts that he must have uh, showed to, to, to do it. Um, all that okay what, what, was that a you, you're saying it's a work Chad well we we saw the uh, you know I, I can't remember if it was Meltzer or Keller that was all up in arms over the comments but one of them gave a good go and they were pretty chauvinist but I it, it's good for Ross to admit his wrong but I, I really don't like commending people that make a mistake and then apologize. I, I'm never one to really commend uh, them for doing something. I mean, he he was in the wrong, so he corrected it. Yeah, well, this is quite topic. Do, do you guys get that show, uh, Top Gear? Uh, you know, uh, in, uh, in in the state, you know, the British, yeah. the British yeah, Top it, Gear. It transfers over on BBC America. Well, uh, Jeremy Clarkson, the, the host of that, is, uh, is recently in a bit of hot water because he, um, he had to... And because there's a... Uh, I don't know, you can look that up. That's a big thing at the moment in the... Uh, and um, some people are saying he should be sacked and stuff, so... Yeah, well, we... Uh, over in the U.S. right now, we're in the mix of a, uh, a scandal with uh, an cl- uh, owner of an NBA franchise, Donald Sterling which is a huge, absolutely huge issue, biggest sports story of the year by far uh, over here because he, uh, his, girl, his girlfriend recorded him on a telephone message about nine minutes of him saying completely racist remarks. Oh, God. And as a result of that, uh, the NBA banned him mm-hmm. for life. Uh, from the NBA and is uh, basically forcing him to sell the team now. So yeah. it's it's uh, kind of a watershed moment from uh, from that standpoint, and that they're forcing out an owner of a team. Well, there's no, I mean, there's no place for stuff like that in 2014, is there? Oh, oh yeah, it's it's an absurd 
uh, you can listen to the interview and it's uh, certainly a man that uh, another troubled man for sure. Well, I mean, just on the, the, with the Clarkson thing, I don't actually think that he should be. Uh, it's, it's all about context with these things, right? So, like in the Clarkson thing, he he blatantly didn't want to say that. Like he he says the N word as part mm. of like a nurse. You know, have you ever heard that thing? Um, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yes. Do you guys have yeah, that? Yeah, I know well, what you're saying. Well, yeah. well, he he basically mumbled over that bit, but in uh, but in one of the outtakes, he um, you can kind of hear him say it. And he was, uh, he was, he like flagged this before it even went to air or anything. Um, but like somehow it's got out, uh, this, uh, this footage of him saying that. And now he's like issued an apology. But it's all about context, right? So clearly he didn't want to cause any, of, uh, any offense there. Whereas the guy on the phone clearly was being offensive. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like, um, do, do you know what I'm saying there? Like it's all about like, if, you know, clearly, like saying that and the like saying that as part of trying to not say it is not being is not being as offensive as like a racist tirade on the phone. You, you... Um. Well, it's yeah. I mean, I, I typically stay mostly out of these discussions just because uh, of uh, what my race is. But um, I'm, yeah, I, I think what certainly hurt Donald Sterling's case is he doesn't necessarily hasn't shown much remorsefulness at all right in the past yeah. week so that that certainly didn't help his case he didn't he didn't come out and apologize straight away or? yeah we haven't had much of a uh, he hasn't spoke publicly about the incident really yet as far as having a news conference or anything like that see me all right well, that's uh, that's it for uh, for the Melters then, um, and I, I still can't get over Terry Owens. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> God! I want you at Wrestle War '94 World Championship Wrestling presents an ironclad event of man versus metal. Wrestle War '91 featuring War Games. We've declared. Witness a grueling double steel cage confrontation where anything can happen. Don't miss the duel in the desert live from Phoenix, Arizona. You can be there front and center only on pay-per-view. All right, so from the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum uh, in Phoenix, uh, Tony Schiavone is here to announce the card, but our hosts are Jim Ross and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, and our first match is um, now, Chad. I have a feeling that I watched a clip version of this show uh, oh. because my first match is the six-man tag. Was that your first match? Yep. No, that's uh, the uh, yeah, that's the first match. Because I I did notice that the card I saw is not quite the same as the card that Meltzer saw. So I don't know if they uh, if there was an edit on the on the pay-per-view feed or or that or like whether there were dark matches, but. Um, State Patrol in the Big Cat versus Tommy Rich, uh, Ricky Morton, and JYD. And JYD is pretty massive in 1991. Um, now, he was limited in 1982, so imagine what he was like in 1991. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, he looked bad with his singles match with Flair, and he looks like he's only he's only continued to gain weight since then. So he, he looks absolutely... 
about as unathletic as a wrestler can look, honestly. He is ballooned. Um, and uh, the referee for this match, I know, is a rookie referee, Lee Scott. We're going to follow yeah. his we're going to follow his career. <laughs> Any relation to Sandy Scott, I wonder? No. Uh, no. <laughs> um, what do you think of this one? Uh, I mean, this was the State Patrol and Big Cat is not exactly a um, uh, exciting trio themselves. So this this match is, I wouldn't say it's a bad opener, but it's a very rudimentary one. Mm-hmm. Something that we probably didn't have to see. Uh, if I, I probably won't remember it two weeks from now. We we get a basic kind of your typical start where uh, Big Cat and JYD have a couple moments where they're going after each other with headbutts and no selling and and drilling with each other. Then the uh, Morton Rich team, which I, I like together as a team. Uh, I've liked them together. They they do their usual uh, arm bar, quick, frequent tag, stuff like that. The face in peril segment I thought was very uninteresting with uh, neither one of the state patrol people or Big Cat able to do uh, any anything of real interest to kind of keep the keep the match together and then we get a hot tag and and uh morton ends up pinning uh sergeant buddy lee parker and so so about 10 minutes and again i I would use the word inoffensive but not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination yeah uh i think i was maybe a tiny tiny bit higher than you in that in that my note was that the face and power sequence was at least decent like like you said, not offensive, and you know it's Ricky Morton being facing yeah. Carol here. So there's only like it's you know put slot A into slot B. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, I I mean, what do you think of uh, Buddy Lee Parker and James Earl Wright as uh, like is this our, is our first look at them? Yeah, uh, I mean uh, between between the. Just the bevy of tag teams that are around this time, they're probably right up there with the royal family as the least significant. Uh, don't seem really needed for a pay-per-view. Seem like kind of a real low-level tag team for one of the weekend shows. Yeah, very lower card. They probably shouldn't be on a pay-per-view, I would say. Right, I would agree with that. Um yeah, uh, not but I gave it two stars. Maybe that's generous. Yeah, that's well, I went two as well. So yeah, I mean, and uh, Keller also went two stars too. Um, and, and I'll quickly mention you. You talked about a dart match. Um, this was I actually watched this on the network, and um, and but Wikipedia has the dart match listed as Ultraman and Eddie Guerrero defeating. Huchel, which I'm not sure yes. on that pronunciation, and Rudy Boy Gonzalez. Melsa so, has that too. Yeah, very young Eddie Guerrero. Um, let me just uh, quickly see what Melsa gave this match um, himself. He, he gave it a. Uh, let's have a look. Um, two and th- no, two and three quarters. He gave the Eddie Guerrero mm. match. Oh, okay. He gave the six man three and a quarter. Oh no, no, so, no, no. Sorry. 
Two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Yeah. Two and a half. Yeah, this feels like a quintessential two star, two and a half star match. Um, yeah. Re- really barometer of a match that goes from being solid to bad. Felt like this match. Yeah. Um, JYD, like, they worked around him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they I, I, you know, kind of spoiling what will happen at the end, but I did have a tough time picking a least uh, least valuable player for this show mm. because while there were bad performers working on this show, I at least thought that for the most part the weaknesses of those performers were hidden well. So, yeah. and they, they 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 were doing that with JYD even back in his mid south days. They 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 oh, sure. positioned him uh, in that way. Um, second match then um, is Brad Armstrong taking on beautiful Bobby Eaton. Um, who who still came out with that kind of Barbie chant? And yeah, I, that I, is I, I still the worst theme music. Well, it's got the like the Midnight's theme. I, I, I guess they took the Midnight's bit out of the uh, out of the uh, the network show. I'd imagine they edited that out. But on the on the one that I saw, they had the Midnight's theme and then the Barbie coming on afterwards. Okay. But yeah, the, uh, on the network it was just the Bobby over some standard synth music, so <laughs> that sounded really bad. Um, and I, I will say uh, a couple of little notes going into this. First of all, you can really see the empty seats in the arena during this match. Yes, I mean it's it it's flagrantly noticeable. Um, I mean I don't know what they actually did uh, on this show. Uh, let me just pull that up. Wrestle War ninety one. What did it do? Um, that's sixty-eight hundred for Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't know if that's so, so six thousand eight hundred according to right. Wikipedia. Yeah, that's in a fifteen thousand seat arena, almost. So, so uh, no, there's no hiding ten thousand empty seats, right? Well, I think they certainly could have done a better job. They did. I mean, you could make it at least a little darker. I don't know. This was blatant. Uh, I mean, this the, well, the seats are kind of weird color. They're, they're, they're like an orange color or yeah. brown, so they're they're very easy to see that they're unoccupied. But but again, I mean the crowd is lit up like a Christmas tree, so it's very noticeable even on the camera facing shots. I mean, I think the shot you're referring to is when they're on the outside, yeah, on the uh, on on the camera side, which you could tell they I guess they asked people to move over, <laughs> but yeah, on the. Uh, on that side of the arena, it looked like only the floor seats were filled, and every bleacher seat was unoccupied. Yes, but but even on the camera side, once you got up to the upper deck, it it got very uh, very limited with people being there. Um, a couple of noticeable people in the crowd. This is where Great Muto is there. Um, don't really know why, uh, and they kept on referring to other people who were sitting like general kind of like wrestlers sitting in the crowd for some reason uh, on this show. Um, another guest who was there, Jason Hervey from the yes. Wonder Years. Did you see him? Yes, um, still. Now, he was looking very greasy in 1991. What, <laughs> what the hell happened to him? What a, what a sleazeball. <laughs> was the, uh, I think, was the Wonder Years done by this point, or was it still going on? It must have been still going, because while they uh, killed him, it was Jason Hervey yeah, from the Wonder Years. 1993, 1993, <laughs> Jesus. Well, this yeah. was clearly like Hervey transitioning to like, you know, early early twenties sleaze sleaze ball. I wonder if he was already talking to Eric Bischoff. Uh, that would have been some interesting early conversations. Maybe they could have swapped brill cream or something. 
Yeah. Well. All right. Um, what do you think of this one? So I was looking forward to this because we're seeing Bobby uh, with the departure of Cornette and Lane branch out as a single star. And this, this 1991 period is really uh, an interesting time for him because we'll get to his match with Arn at Super Brawl in our next show. But I was, you know, Brad Armstrong is a guy that I think we both like, but we also think is a, maybe a little bit overrated in the smart uh, sense that we haven't seen him as like a future surefire prospect or star on the rise. I mean, he's been a solid guy that uh, could, I, I wouldn't mind having him on my roster for sure, but I, I don't see like sometimes you think like if you have someone that's the most missed opportunities, he sometimes makes those types of lists. And uh, I haven't seen that. I, I thought this was a really solid match. Uh, when, when about, what, 12, 13 minutes. Again, pretty basic stuff for the most part, kind of working the arm. Uh, I thought Armstrong had a, had a lot of work on top for this match, but they were able to mix in the high-impact moves well with Bobby's timing. I love... Uh, they did the spot that Ricky Morton does where he steps on top of Bobby's shoulders and jumps off. And then uh, Armstrong hit a cross body. I thought that was a really cool spot. The transition to Bobby on offense where he does a little explosive running clothesline to take over was really well executed. And then his uh, offense, I thought, was pretty brutal, which we know Bobby Eaton has great offense, but he started working on the back and doing some back breakers, uh, some slingshot moves, and always pinned. Uh, I like the fact that he was always kind of going for the pinfall mm. uh, throughout this match. It did did a little cheating, but you could you could kind of see him starting to turn. Look, did you maybe notice a face? Did you notice the crowd seemed to be hundred percent on Eaton's side during this match? Yeah. Yeah, this crowd, which we'll mention towards the end where, uh, and, and I always love when somebody makes a mistake and it pays off. And here, uh, Armstrong tries for a backdrop. He set his head too early. Eaton hits a, a, a neck breaker and then immediately hits the Alabama jam for the win. And it's a huge pop from the crowd. Yeah. So um, good stuff. I like I like this. Yeah, no, I thought that um, uh, Armstrong basically worked this match like a 1970s babyface, you know, working on the arms, staying on it, very kind of technical style here from Armstrong. Bit boring, I guess, um, from him. But man, Eaton's offense is cool. I thought the um, at one point they did a slingshot suplex reversal. I thought that looked pretty awkward that spot. Um, do you know that spot? The- yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. That was probably the most awkward moment of the match. But yeah. then Eaton hit an awesome backbreaker from an Irish whip, which yes. is like, how the hell can you do a backbreaker from an Irish whip? And then like a couple of moments later, he did a slingshot backbreaker. <laughs> slingshot backbreaker. Yes. That's so cool. Um so, yeah, I, I really was like, I love Eaton's high spots. And the Alabama Jam is such an amazing finisher as well. I mean, um, the only other thing I'll mention is, did you see that uh, fan in the front row, the, the, the black guy who um, kept jawing with Eaton? 
And like he was showing him the finger, like he was showing him the finger on camera. And like the WCW director didn't pull away. So you could see no. this fan like showing eating the finger. I thought that was really funny. Um, um, so yeah, I thought this lagged in parts, but I had generally good psychology and Eaton's offense is just off the chart. So about three stars for me. That, that's exactly what I went as well. I went three stars, thought it was a good match. Uh, uh, Keller goes three and a fourth. Um, they, that's exactly where Meltzer goes three and a quarter. So we're we're all. I in this show I did my kind of cursy look of uh, around the internet of other reviews like Scott Keith and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I feel like this show more than most that we do, we're pretty aligned. Uh, yeah. Everybody seems pretty aligned on this show. I don't, maybe we'll have some disagreements. Uh, later on, but I know myself personally with what I ranked the matches and then I looked online and it felt pretty, uh, pretty much the same, which doesn't happen all that often. So, um, so I didn't get this next match that Meltzer mentioned here. Uh, I'm wondering if you did. Itsuki Yamazaki and Mama uh, Kitamura versus Miss A and Mickey Handa. Yes. I didn't. I didn't have this match. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I do have this. This is on the. Uh, this is on the network version. So right. you must. Uh, you must have had the Turner version. But it didn't have any of like the turn because usually you can tell when it's Turner. Mm-hmm. It didn't have any of that stuff. It seemed like the feed to me. So I don't know. But it's de- definitely I didn't have this match. Okay, that's interesting. So uh, Yamazaki and Kitamura is the jumping bomb angels. And then uh, Miss A, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, my Joshi knowledge, I'm not quite certain who Miki Honda is, but Miss A is Dynamite Ken, uh, Kenzai, right. who is one of my favorite uh, Joshi competitors. And then this match is another solid, I mean, you could tell the crowd was kind of um, obviously unknowledgeable with who was in there. Mm. Dusty, of course was <laughs> completely <laughs> out of his element here. Well, I bet he was murdering these names. Yeah, well, he, he get, at one point, I'm, I'm fairly certain he, he... I don't know if he still knows who Miss A is, because he seemed to think that it was not Kanzai, it was the other uh, Honda, and so he kept getting them confused, and the uh, it, it was just a mess. Ross was trying to rein him in, but Ross didn't seem all that knowledgeable and Self, so uh, I mean, this was a basic Joshi tag for seven minutes. A lot of roll throughs, uh, very high, high uh, kind of impact offense. I did think they got the crowd into it pretty well. And when the Bomb Angels win by actually pinning Kanzai, which she wasn't, uh, I, I mean, she wasn't a huge star at this time, but it still felt I was I was surprised by that finish because. You know, late late ninety two is when the Dream Rush tag match happens, which some people call the greatest wrestling match of all time. And then Kanzai's in that match, so that's only uh, about eighteen nineteen months from when this match took place. So to see her get the pin off of uh, it was a middle rope sunset flip and was helped by a clothesline off the top um, was pretty surprising. This this I had a uh, two two and a half uh, sol- solid stuff, but 
nothing very con uh you know consequential overall and Keller is nuts on this match. Now this is one where I, he is nuts. Uh yeah. he goes three and three fourths. Well but Meltzer went three and a half on him. Yeah, I mean I mean I would say two and a half, two and three fourths. It's it's a short match and it's certainly novel for wrestling pay per view at the time, but I think it's a match that obviously doesn't hold up very well in retrospect because we've seen well, you know, we've we've seen this type of high impact action Mel- now. Meltzer men- mentioned that there was Northern Light Suplex in this match, so I, I, yeah. I'm guessing they're popping with the high spots here. Right. Which, uh, given my rep, I'd probably be higher on it. <laughs> well, I doubt it very much. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it was it was a high paced seven minutes, but just it felt like there was not any consequence at all. It was just here's an introductory to Joshi women. So. And if uh, if our buddy Charles is listening, maybe he can tell us who Mickey Hander is. Yeah, uh, yeah. He uh, he knows more about Joshi. Tr- Some of the more Joshi aficionados. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dustin Rhodes versus Buddy Landell. Yes. Should that we get is my. This? Uh, they, did you have the? I mean, they kept cutting. Did you get the little Tony interview with Missy here? Oh yes, yeah. Um, yeah. so Missy's going to be going backstage interviewing wrestlers tonight. <laughs> That's uh, that's basically all I got here. Yeah, that's nothing, nothing big. But she's headed to the locker room. Yeah, more on that in a in a moment. Uh, Buddy Landell then um, is back, and he looks in pretty good shape. I think he's really slimmed down. He he even points to his stomach to show that you know he's he's lost a bit of weight here. Um, and this is our first look at Dustin Rhodes. Um, uh, Dusty's commentary during this match went. Like he has some bizarre moments uh, on commentary on this evening. Um, now I can't do with southern accent, uh, Chad. But he said when you put a dog, a dog, dog in the corner, you've got to be careful that it don't bite you. What the hell? What's <laughs> bizarre? Yeah, uh, he. Uh, um, I, I I thought Ross was really good tonight. Um, and and you can see how he throws to Dusty and just like lets Dusty get in one of his dumb sayings, but there were there were so many times throughout the show where Dusty would say something and be like, Yeah, that's what you gotta do, Jimbo and I mean it, it was just it was not anything that made a whole lot of sense. It was He's on his own planet. Yeah, basically just a dustyism, and then he'd throw right back to Ross. I, I was wondering, is that some sudden thing that b- 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 bite you, or is that just a dusty? Nah, that, that's, that's a dusty. Most of dusties are dusties. <laughs> uh, so, what do you think of this? Uh, two interesting workers here. Yes. Yeah, so this uh, was uh, probably a more interesting match to kind of watch, based on what we know, than actually, you know, maybe watching this match live. Uh, so D- Dustin, I thought looked pretty pudgy, really, uh, kind yeah, of coming he did. out. He really did. He, uh, you know, you hear about him as at gold dust, gaining weight and ballooning up, but he he didn't look in amazing physical shape here. Buddy slimmed down, and I I don't know, I don't know if he was he did some good stuff in this match, and then some stuff that I thought was. Not very good. Uh, some generic heel cheating, grabbing the hair. He did at one point have a good knee drop on the corner. I made a note of that where he did the, where you, uh, 
kind of slingshot off the ropes and deliver a knee to a grounded opponent. I thought that looked good. This match was kind of rudimentary, and by this point in the card, this is our fourth match in a row where I've I could sort of use that word where the styles have been different enough uh, so far throughout the card that it's not necessarily boring. But you kind of, as a viewer, I was wanting something maybe a little bit more meatier in, in this in this uh, point in the card. And D- Dustin's bulldog and some of his more signature moves that would he'd become known for look good here. I mean, the bulldog ends up picking up the victory for him in seven minutes. So, so I would say a solid debut, but as an overall match, there was some awkwardness between the two and some kind of wandering around. So Dustin was definitely still a very green worker. And I don't necessarily know if Landell was either motivated enough or whatever to kind of, rein him in as much as he probably well, should have at points. Meltzer said that Landau was working harder than usual, taking extra high bumps to get Rhodes over. Um, he gave it two and a quarter. I, see. I'm actually higher than him, though. I gave it two and a half. Yeah, I went two and a half as well. Uh, Keller went a star and three-fourths. Right. Was not, was not happy with Buddy Landau. And I should mention, Keller was live at this show. Was he? Seems, which well, seems well, weird. I mean, he's... He, this is around the point where he's really been traveling to these uh, shows. He was at Great American Bash 1990, and now he's all the way in Phoenix for this one. What does he say? What he was down on Landell for in particular? Now, it, it, I mean, <laughs> I can read his whole review. It's not very good. It's uh, Dustin got no more than a polite response from the crowd. Dustin top rope slam Landell, which followed by Landell sucks chant. Uh, Landell broke. A road sleeper, but was put away with a side suplex. So in his overall ratings, he, uh, just, you know, not not a lot of descriptions. And these with these six page torches, mm-hmm. you're just not going to get a, much analysis. Um, no, I did think that I caught Landell doing a few audibles during this match. Um, there was one on the Irish Whip before the hip toss. Um, that felt to me like he, he was calling, uh, you know, that was a, one of the more noticeable audibles that, uh, I saw in this show. In fact, there were a couple of them on this show. Uh, there's a couple later on as well, but, um, yeah, uh, our next match has a pretty big one that I call. Yeah. Um, maybe that's the camera work. I don't know. Or maybe it's the workers not, uh, you know, need to rein it in a bit. Yeah. I think it's a combination of both. I'm, I'm usually not one that's easy to tell spot calling unless it's really obvious I, it's just not something i pay attention to i'm looking at other things besides the wrestler's mouth yeah. but um, on this show i thought there was a few instances where the wrestlers and a side headlock and stuff like that were not being uh using much caution at all and you could definitely tell spots were being called yeah there's a there's an egregious one at survivor series around this time with uh between um uh, Teddy Biasi and uh, uh, Bret Hart um, yeah. in the in, a, in an otherwise very good sequence, but um, two two uh, great workers. Yeah, after the bad moment. Yeah, uh, you can uh, and and again, it's on the um, it's on the Irish Whip um, in that corner. So I I because I, I guess that's a moment where they call what they're going to do. Um, right. Right. So okay. Anyway, I thought Landau was pretty good in this match. Good first look at uh, Dustin. 
I like the Bulldog as well. That's, that, that was my note. Yeah, interesting match to watch. Okay, well, uh, Missy Hyatt uh, is getting ready to go into the locker room. <laughs> and um, Tony, like, throws, like, here's Missy Hyatt going into the locker room now. And she gets in there. And it's Stan Hansen, <laughs> who, who's um, chewing tobacco. And he says, you get your big butt out of here. And I, I thought this was really funny, actually. It had the uh, desire. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was set up really well, uh, where Nancy gives a spiel, you know, before of like, we don't know who we'll see. And, they, you know, they may not be dressed or blah, blah, blah. So and the the payoff of it being Hanson with his tobacco dripping everywhere and yelling at Missy. And then I'll, I'll give uh, Tony some props, too, because them throwing immediately back to him and him cracking up really sold it well as also. So I enjoyed this segment. Yeah, I actually thought Tony may, be, may have legit found it funny. I don't know. Oh, well, we know that Dusty loved just uh, screwing with Missy. So yeah, I could definitely tell, and he would he wouldn't shut up about it in this next match. So uh, you could tell Dusty really loved booking this one, right? So uh, shall we have a look at this? Handsome versus Vader. Oh, did you not get the uh, Royal Family versus the Young Pistols? Nope, I didn't get. I, I uh, went. I went. To, in fact, I, in fact, I don't have the Taylor versus Zenk either. Oh my God. Oh yeah, so the so this will be two two uh, matches here. Uh, Royal Family versus Young Pistols. Now, as I talked about in the last match, it was fine, but we needed something a little meatier. This was a horrible example of that. This was a thirteen minute tag match. Uh, you know, not terrible. We see our return of our buddy Jack Victory, uh, but God. but I mean, just I mean, this this felt like. Why is this not on the power hour? I mean, this felt like it had no business being on a pay-per-view. Certainly could have used a few minutes for Hanson and Vader to fill out uh, you, the card longer and just cut this match. They gave this 12 minutes? Yes, it is It is a, a long 12 minutes, too, where... Uh, and, and this is where I said I thought Ross had a good night because... With their commentary, Ross's commentary throughout this match really filled in the gaps and made it a lot more interesting than it was. I was actually blown away by his commentary because you had Victory and um, and Rip Morgan kind of doing their power moves, wanting to ground the pistols down, and the pistols were using their speed to gained the advantage and Ross mentioned that contrast he constantly brought up the tag team ratings uh, so he did a really good job throughout this match bringing up little things to keep the action moving along like I said the action is not very good at all gave it a I gave it a star and a half uh, pistols end up winning they looked fine but Vic victory is still just really bad like and he I don't. I don't really see the value of keeping him around in the company. How is Rip Morgan? Uh, not much better. So <laughs> this is not a tag team you're very excited about. Star and a quarter for Meltzer. Yeah, yeah, so around the same for Keller. So, and then Taylor versus uh, Zenk, a match that I I have to say I'm not. Um, even though I can see the rating the Meltzer gave it here, I'm not disappointed that I missed this because it's got Tom Zenk in it. 
Yeah, no, Taylor versus Zink, I was looking forward to because I really liked the clash turn, right. uh, that, uh, that Taylor did. And I thought this match was very interesting because it's a no disqualification match, which you think in nowadays terms, you think of like a broken announce table, chair, stuff like that. Mm. And this, this didn't have any weapons, uh, per se. But one thing that helped the match was you did see that Taylor used punches and some illegal moves. He went to the outside and would use the guardrail. And I, I thought Taylor again was, was pretty, pretty great. Honestly, is this kind of slimy heel consultant with Alexander York throughout this match? Zinc mostly stayed out of the way. Definitely plays into the part I said with our opener of the weaker competitors throughout this show kind of having their weaknesses hidden. Uh, he, he was actually decent here getting a fired up, uh, kind of come back and looking like he had the match in control until a distraction from Alexander York allowed Taylor to grab a handful of tights and pick up the victory. So this is, I thought this was a good feud ender. Uh, a way to get Taylor over as the leader of the York Foundation. The step on the onset, if you just watch the match, you're like, well, they didn't use any weapons, so it wasn't violent enough. But these are really two quote-unquote technical guys, so I think it would have been a little out of character to see them really brawling around the arena. And like I said, Taylor used a punch, just a closed fist for a lot of the transitions and I thought that put over the stipulation well that he, he wasn't fearful of getting disqualified or getting a warning for using a closed fist. So I, enjoy, I enjoyed this a good bit. I thought this was our uh, most significant match so far on the show. I went about three stars. Uh, Keller went three and a fourth. Meltzer went three and a half. He yeah. Thought, he thought it was a great match. Um, and says that, um, I thought it was, you said with the exception of Stan Hansen, Taylor was the only heel on the card that was a true heel. He says the horsemen still had most of the crowd liking them, even though they were over his heels as the match went on. I thought that was quite interesting that uh, he reckons that the only true heel on the car was Terry Taylor. Yeah, uh, I've, I've really loved what we've seen of Taylor. This was two shows in a row where he's, uh, I mean, he won my MVP last show and he was on the short list here this show. So, interesting. Some good stuff. So, well, I'm sorry, I, I guess I'm sorry to have missed that. No. Yeah, I would recommend seeking this one out. I'm really surprised if you are watching the uh, home video version, this didn't make the cut, because uh, it certainly should have made it over the six-man opener, I can tell you that. All right, so the the next match then, uh, Stan Hansen uh, versus Big Van Vader. Yeah, before that, I don't know if this was not included on your version, but there was a, a Paul Lee interview segment. I, did, I don't think I saw that, Chad, the Paulie. Okay. It, it just went straight from um, Missy Hyatt and the get your big butt out of here to the match. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have a special pay-per-view edition of the Danger Zone. And uh, Paulie comes out in all his matador regalia, uh, says some completely offensive Zeb Coulter-esque racist things to some of the... Uh, Hispanics in the audience in Phoenix, right. Arizona, and then calls out his special guest, the one, the only, El Gigante, <laughs> who, like, I mean, how long now has this guy done absolutely nothing of note? 
and uh, and here he does it again. He says nothing of no. They have a little scruffle, and I mean that's the end of it. It was a humorous segment just to kind of see Paulie and his matador get up because it, it is completely ridiculous. And of course, uh, Dusty was in all his glory making fun of Paulie looking like this. But but El Gigante again, man, it is time for him to do something. It's a it's a pester to get off the pot moment. Well, I, I think um, I, at least he appeared for more than just the segment at the end of the of the War Games. <laughs> right, right. Um, it actually makes sense, like why was he in the arena? You know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so then even after that, though, we had another little segment with Tony Schiavone, and he interviewed Hiro Matsuda and the Great Muda. Oh wow! Okay. And. Uh, uh, basic kind of general hype job for the for the super show in tokyo and then uh, muda looked really cool and he ended up spitting his mist at the end so he's still working the kind of mysterious persona right and was he was he being cheered by the crowd or uh he had a pretty good reaction i mean nothing overwhelming but he it, i would say it was a good reaction okay all right, well, it seems like uh, the version I had had quite a bit cut out. So, sorry about that, guys. I, uh, I, I can usually tell instantly if it's Turner. But um, it, for whatever reason, this didn't seem like a... It seemed like the live pay-per-view feed to me, so... Yeah, so uh, um, the, the version... I watched this on the network. The version on the network is two hours and 49 minutes. Right. So they once they cut out those couple of matches in the interview segment, that's probably your forty nine minutes here. Yeah, because mine was exactly two hours. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, Hanson versus Bader. Then obviously um, this wasn't going to be like the Tokyo Dome match. But what did you think of what they gave us here? Yeah. So they so they built this as a special attraction type match, and um, it, it's a short match and a match that ends in a blah finish because basically it's deemed out of control by randy anderson he throws the match out Mm. but but the actual action that we get inside this match i thought was really good i mean two guys just kind of clobbering at each other uh i thought vader showed a lot of presence with his head mask coming out and uh, i mean just a ton of kind of crazy spots with kicks some chairs being thrown around uh they, they end up kind of brawling on the announce table in a very uncomfortable Jim Ross, who I don't I don't know if he's that good of an actor because both him and Dusty get rocked a little bit when they're yeah. out there. I think Jr. legitimately didn't like them fighting near the booth. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he didn't. Looked a little scared. Yeah, but did, did you see the moment where um where he was telling like the kind of guys around the ring get these chairs out of here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So so yeah, I, I mean, as far as a good kind of clubbering match, I uh, I enjoyed it for what it was. Vader hit a really nice top rope uh, clothesline. They looked crazy, and then I mean, if you're gonna do that t- kind of cheap finish, uh, at least this one seemed a little bit conceivable because it did have an out of control feel to it, and they brought to the back, and uh, Hanson gets his noose out. So really enjoyable for the amount of time it happened. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like this match could have happened in um, you know eighties or Japan or something. You know, when they go in the crowd yeah. and everybody's scattering, yeah. like it had that kind of feel to it. Um, I thought um, there was a massive bump by Hanson. Did you see when he uh, Vader dropped him on the on the railings outside? 
Yeah. Like, that, that's like a three hundred pound man, you know, being dropped on the on the. That was, that was a massive bump, I thought. Um, and I thought this was probably about, I would say, about fifty percent stiffer than any other match on a WCW card. Like they were yeah. really slapping the shit out of each other. So uh, I thought, based on all of that, at least three and a half for me, even though it was a six minute match. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it's again too short to be a, a great match, but I uh, I don't think I'd go quite that high. But I have no problem calling it good for what we saw around the three star, you know, three and a fourth range, which is uh, you know that's high praise for. A sub seven minute match. I don't think yeah. there's a lot of three star matches that are that short in length. Keller gave it three and a quarter. Meltzer yeah. gave it two and three quarters. That seems pretty stingy for Meltzer. Uh, this yeah. kind of felt like a match he would really get behind, but, but I guess not. Well, well, we've seen, haven't we, that Meltzer wasn't that high on St. Hansen. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's weird, though. He just doesn't give him very, like, he never ranks highly in the, in, in the, in the annual ratings and. Really, yeah. brawlers in general. I mean, I think he. I mean, listening to him talk about Lawler. Uh, I mean, he'll talk about how big of a draw he was, Andy Kaufman, stuff like that. I don't. I don't get the sense that Meltzer really thinks Lawler was a, a great worker, you know, per se. Yeah, well, I guess he's still in that mindset that the only great wrestlers are technical wrestlers, right? Right, or a very high spot, high octane kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Half-line stuff, yeah. Okay, um, so, yeah, I mean, I can't say it's a disappointment, that match, because it, what we got was good, but I do think, I mean, as as we said, I think you could have cut one of the previous matches and given this another ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, certainly that uh, the Southern Boys, uh, Young Pistols tag versus the Royal Family, could have been cut, added a few minutes to this, maybe even a couple more minutes to Zinc versus Taylor, yeah. and the show would have been better. But, yeah, having this match on this show and the Joshi girls, I think, kind of improves the show overall because uh, that's two decent to good matches uh, that felt special in the overall uh, WCW universe. Yeah, so, well, uh, the next match here, then, is... Uh, well, one of uh, one of our favorites, Chad, is back, Dan Spivey, <laughs> and um, he's he's taken on the U.S. champ, Lex Luger. Um, and uh, one of the things about this match is that they're retiring the old NWA U.S. belt and they're replacing it with a new one that costs thirty grand to make. Right. Um, so we have been incredibly critical of Dan Spivey in the past. I think he's a multiple-time. Um, uh, Billy Graham Award winner. <laughs> what did you make of him here against uh, against Sexy Lexi? Well, um, by Spivey, I will say around this time had a, a very weird situation where he was in a few matches. Another one's in All Japan in a tag where he teams with Hanson uh, that are that are absolutely great matches. I think this match is really tremendous. And a, uh, a feather in the cap of Lex. Uh, I mean, there was just certain types of high spots and moves in this match that built. Um, Lex created a ton of sympathy for himself. Once uh, Spivey did the spot where Lex was thrown from one ring to the other, followed that up with a tombstone pile driver, and then Lex, as with his babyface comebacks, I thought were just tremendous. Uh, wow. 
really showed good fire, had the crowd behind him. And then we go into the finish, which is just bomb after bomb before Lex kind of definitively wins uh, what feels like a a hard-earned victory. And every move looked really crisp. Spivey, I don't don't think Spivey was, I would say, great in this match, but he was serviceable, definitely better than what we've seen. There was a couple times where you could definitely tell he was calling a spot. Yeah. And, bit, and bit, kind of minor stuff. Bit but. sloppy in execution on occasion. Yes, but. yes. I, I'm really glad that you said that, because I, I thought I was going out on a limb with this, because um, I thought this was a really good match as well. And um, I've got exactly the same notes, like Luger looked crisp and all his offense was well executed. Um, he was great at selling all the high spots really well. You know, Spivey, for all, like, he, he is a guy who can hit, you know, suplex variations. Um, and he was doing, he was pulling out the, the high spots here. Um, but I, I thought this was basically a Luger carry job. Like, you know, this was a a kind of classic babyface comeback match, you know, told the story, like he got his ass kicked for, you know, six, seven, eight minutes. And then he, then he made a sensational comeback. Um, I went as high as three and three quarters. Um, I saw Keller went four on it and, um, Luger went, uh, sorry, uh, Meltzer went three and three quarters. So, yeah, so I, uh, I'm around where you are. And, and one thing I'll say on this match too is like when I watch this match again, you know, we love these kind of hidden gym matches that we can find that we, uh, under the radar. And I really expected we'd have one here just seeing Spivey versus Luger. I was like, oh, this for sure is a match that I'm sure everyone's kind of shit on and stuff like that. But but shockingly not, because even Scott Keith, which I thought this was really surprising, he went four stars on this match, wow. Wow. which I would have never – I went – I pulled uh, – uh, seeked him out specifically because I was expecting a two, two-and-a-half-star affair, and that's why I talked about – how this kind of is a show where almost everybody is uniform. But, yeah, so when I, I watched my 91 stuff to, all together, I, I went initially three and a half stars. Uh, but rewatching it now again, I'd, I'd bump it up a little bit. I'm, it's going to be raised up my rankings, and I think it's going to for sure be one of the top 100 matches of 1991 when all is said and done. Is, is this Luger at the peak of his powers here? I mean, you know, pulling a four-star or near enough four-star match out of Dan Spivey is no mean feat, I don't think. I mean, this is pretty good stuff from uh, Lex, isn't it? Yeah, I would say this is one of the biggest carry jobs in Luger's career. I can't think of anything right offhand. Uh, he had the great Flair series in 1990, and then he had the great 1989, too. So he's been on a really good run. But as far as taking a real shoddy opponent and Spivey in a singles match and leading him to something good, this is probably the best example we have of Luger as a very good worker. Yeah. I mean, are we being a bit harsh on Sp- Like, I know Spivey kind of gets better. Doesn't he have, like, a little run in Japan after this and where he kind of does better stuff? Yeah, I mean, the match... I was referencing is from 4-18-1991. It's, it's him and Hanson versus Williams and Gordy. And then he also has a match teaming with Hanson versus Masala and Kawada. Hmm. But, it, but 
in all those matches, I mean, these are kind of bona fide Hall of Famers in all those uh, matches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to have somebody like Luger, who uh, almost everybody would universally have a peg below those workers, yeah, and in a singles match, uh, I think it's very good. And another thing about this show I wanted to mention real quickly is. Again, I like with WCW how they put the U.S. title and the tag team titles in prominent positions on the pay-per-views. Here we went U.S. title, tag team titles, and war games. So it was a good kind of acceleration up the card with the titles. Yeah, and I, I, the last thing I'll say about uh, Lex um, and the U.S. title is that he has really carried that title. Like, he's elevated that title, I think. He's made it seem like such a major deal now. Um, he's got to be the best U.S. champion, right, in history. Like, is there anyone else even close? Uh, maybe when we get to the Steve Austin era, but he he's certainly up there in the discussion. Yeah. Okay, well, um, Nikita Koloff is here. He's back, and um, he's here to present um, and the new belt to, to Luger. Uh, there's also a dude with a beard. Uh, do you know who this guy was? Any ideas, Chad? I actually, uh, I don't. I didn't know. I didn't make a note of who that was, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't know either. I thought maybe like for, for a second, I thought could it be David Crockett? Oh, oh, I think I'm, I'm going back and looking at it right now. I think isn't that Grizzly Smith? Is it? I think it is. Grizzly Somebody, Smith, I'm right. sure, will correct us. But Some, just yeah. in looking at him, it looks a little bit like Grizzly Smith. Yeah, well, there was a dude with a beard, um, <laughs> and um, Nikita uh, basically, Im- like, immediately, and I mean, there's n- he wastes no time about this at all, just nails Luger straight off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he and, didn't mince any words, really. Yeah. Like, we didn't sit, did, did, did you see this coming off a mile? I mean, obviously, I knew what was going to happen already, but, you know, well, it, this was pretty, like, classic, obvious setup. A guy comes yeah. back, we haven't seen him for ages, he's going to turn heel immediately. Well, and and especially, I think, I don't know if you're a smart fan, but, I mean, Dusty has just returned as the booker, all of a sudden the yeah. shows up, it, it feels <laughs> very kind of predictable. Um, I thought it was very neat that Koloff mentioned that Luger stole the title from him four years ago. Yes. Um, and he, he's basically back with his bald, bald head. And uh, he's stacked again. You know, he's bulked up. Um, and I've just written, good, R.I.P. Flat Top Nikita, the worst wrestler of all time. So, uh, yeah, he looks like the Nikita Koloff of old here. Yeah, back, uh, I mean, he was at his preacher's days already. But, uh, yeah, cut a, cut a good Russian promo. Looking forward to more Nikita? Um, well, I kind of know what's coming ahead, so I'll say <laughs> no, but this wasn't a bad first appearance. Yeah. I want to, does he have a strap match versus Vader at some point? I don't know. Was it versus Luger? Well, he has the, at Great American Bash, he has the Russian chain match with Sting. That oh, that's, what it, that, that's what I'm thinking okay. of, Sting, yeah. Okay, um, so then, so that, well, should we go from the US title match, um, to the tag title match? And, um, oh, I wonder who's going to win this one. It's the fabulous Freebirds <laughs> taking on Doom. Um, and as if the Freebirds couldn't get any worse than they have been, um, they now have perhaps the most irritating version of Diamond Dallas Page oh. ever, ever, oh ever managing them. 
And this is like, I don't know how long uh, DDP sticks around in this little run, but he's so annoying. Good God. <laughs> good, good God. <laughs> good God. Yeah. <laughs> he to- I mean, he to- like, how, how much is it obvious that he's trying to get this catchphrase over with a crowd? Like, <laughs> and then to make things like as if they couldn't get any worse here. So, um, like, the, the Freebirds have got all this entourage with them, like, all these, uh, Women and th- th- was it just me or these women like unusually tall? Like they're all like six foot six foot women here. <laughs> I don't know where they found them. Um, and then uh, DDP introduces um, like a, the newest member of the Freebirds entourage, Big Daddy Dink. It's like Jesus, <laughs> come on now. Yeah, Big. I mean, this, the Freebirds legitimately during their interest had seven people or eight people in the ring because there was four women. DDP, Big Daddy Dink waddles around, and then Garvin and Hayes. I've never seen a bigger entourage. It's completely ridiculous. Why they need two managers? That doesn't sound like a great financial decision on their part. And like, do, do, do the Freebirds need a manager when they've got yeah. they one of the best talkers in the history of wrestling? And uh, Michael PSA is there. Legendary wrestlers, and now all of a sudden they need not one you know, a bona fide rookie in DDP that they brought in as their lackey, but uh, but also Big Daddy Dink, who's kind of a jobber extraordinaire manager. So this this was a this was a train wreck. I, I don't know what else you can call it. It's it's mercifully fairly short lived, but this this kind of sets the table for some 1991 WCW stupidity that we'll see throughout this this whole match. One of the things that I thought was um, really funny. Is that uh, when Big Daddy Dink was introduced, the crowd gave zero, and I mean absolutely zero reaction. They couldn't give them less of a shit about Big Daddy Dink. (laughs) Dusty uh, old commentary was trying mercifully to make somebody care. Oh, they got the Big Daddy Dink, (laughs) and it was just not happening. Oh, well. Okay, so... um, Right, I've got a funny feeling that I'm going to be the incredible outlier on this match, looking at what Keller and Meltzer have given it. Uh, but anyway, on. well, I mean, so so I'll say for the action, actual in ring, it's a short match, which helps the Freebirds. Uh, probably some of my favorite Freebird matches since oh, I'd say '89, '88, maybe were their series with the Southern Boys, which were. Seven, eight minutes, real high octane, didn't allow for the 15-minute Garvin, yeah, 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 chin lock. <laughs> and and when we got that here, I mean, I thought the the birds bumped pretty good. Uh, Doom's power moves looked good. And we got a, a very concise, basic match that, I mean, I, I didn't think it was spectacular, but it was inoffensive. Uh, leading to the finish, which the, of, of all the Freebirds entourage that I hate about this match, I think I hate the finish even more mm. with the kind of inadvertent nonsense. You you end up having the Freebirds essentially play and face in peril with, with Hayes wanting a hot tag in the crowd again, not giving a shit or giving him much of a pop at all when he gets the hot tag. And then some miscommunication, which after the match, after the Birds uh, gained the titles for their minus six-day run, 
you have Doom split up, which is really saddening to me because Doom now for really the better part of a year had been a dominant force in the tag division, still felt fresh that they had uh, many matches left to go. I mean, them versus Sting and Luger in a high-profile match again, uh, them versus the Steiners again, it felt like they had a lot left to accomplish. So them splitting up, which was a dusty decision to kind of push Ron Simmons, but it's one I really disagree with. Yeah, no, well, I actually temporarily forgot that um, when I watched this again, I forgot that the Freebirds won this match. I literally, I completely, uh, like, I've probably raised this uh, minus six day title run out of my mind uh, when I saw this <laughs> show. So I would, I just written in my note, no, what the fuck of the Freebirds doing winning this? And if you think, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's the, I'd say it's equivalent of the New Age Outlaws beating the Shield in 2014. Like, this is like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I mean, even if they were going to split Doom up, the Freebirds, seriously, are going to be the team that's going to, uh, you know, uh, be the ones to beat them. Um, they had to get a uh, Big Daddy Dink over. Um, so I thought this was really awful booking. Um, and um, a real shame, I thought, that they were going to split Doom up. Yeah. Um, however, I thought this was the best Freebirds match in a very long time. Um, I thought it was the last great match for Doom. I thought it's one of the best outings we've seen of Ron Simmons. His mm-hmm. Spinebuster, for example, on Garvin was awesome. Um, I, I was loving the um, power moves from Doom. They, you know, their they're scoop power slams and backbreakers. And Butch Reed hit a double underarm suplex at one point. Um, there was a little moment where Jimmy Jam called out Butch Reed. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I don't really understand what he was thinking there. Like... Uh, I wouldn't call out Butch Reed if I was Garvin. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, I really quite liked, like, so as much as I don't really agree with the booking here, um, I thought that uh, Butch Reed's, uh, said, well, essentially the turn on Ron Simmons with his diving fist drops, I thought it looked amazing. Um, Long was getting his pathetic little foot stomps in. So I really, really dug this whole section even though I disagreed with the with booking, I thought the execution of it was great. And I was really high on this match. I've given it, like, over three and a half stars. Oh, my God. Bars. Yeah. And I can see that Meltzer gave it two and a half. And I, and, uh, <laughs> That's even higher than I was willing to go. <laughs> but Meltzer gave it two and a half, and Keller hasn't rated it at all. Uh, let me see what our... Uh... Our buddy Scott Keefe, a star and a half, so we're all over the map. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd go probably two stars. I don't, I don't know. So I'm, I'm the insane high vote on this. Yeah, but, you're, you're going to be the high vote on this I one. But I thought it was incredible. I really dug it. Uh, I thought it was great. for, uh, And this was about as good as a match as the Freebirds can have at this point, I think. I would agree with that for the time allotted. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I still don't like. Surely somebody else could have been in this role that they've given the Freebirds here. <laughs> like, I don't buy them as as uh, tag champs in 1991. And I, I know they have technically have the titles for less for minus six days. <laughs> yeah. But still, I don't know who I don't know who they could have put in there. But um, somebody else, basically. Um, I'm trying to think of who they could have put in there. I mean, I don't know. 
can't think. Um, maybe even uh, even. I mean, even the Southern boys is an upset. I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody but the Freebirds. I mean, because the Freebirds played face, so yeah, they basically they basically play this match as if they were faces. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's you would say, oh, they don't want they want Doom to lose to Hilt. I don't know. Tommy, Tommy, Richard, Ricky Morton, maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That'd have been good. Um. Okay, so in one of the more bizarre moments of the evening, uh, Jim Ross is with the sweepstakes winner uh, oh. now, who's this kid <laughs> from the crowd. Um, so this is this little little black kid essentially, who's who's won um, who's won a sweepstake. What's he won here? I I don't know if it was a magazine or what, but he did not look too enthused. Yeah, and uh, so Jr's like, well, who's your favorite team in the war games? And this kid's like, Doom. <laughs> And um, obviously they're not in the war games. And JR's <laughs> like, well, I don't think they're going to be a team for much longer. It's just such a such a surreal little moment. Um, this uh, this kid hadn't read the script, did he? You know, you know what would be a good compilation. I don't know if it's on YouTube, but awkward uh, fan interviews and in wrestling events. Because you could put this one, the Mary Tyler Moore uh, WrestleMania six one, where everybody looked like Elvis, yeah. and, uh, and a couple others in a compilation. I would greatly enjoy that. Yeah, I, I'd also like. I know it was a skip, but I'd also include the um, when uh, the um, you know when DBRC makes that kid with the basketball. Yeah, like, he's legit gonna cry at some point. That's <laughs> like it's just... anyway. Um, so. Uh, uh, it's announced that Larry Zabisco is going to replace uh, the injured Arn Anderson uh, in the War Games, um, and I thought this was really weird. So Dusty basically buries uh, Zabisco here. He thinks that Larry Z is a very unusual choice, which he doesn't understand. It's like, what? Why, why is Dusty saying this? Did yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I didn't understand that either, because I, I don't know if this was just going to be a. Uh, it, it. I mean, I, I don't know if this was just like one shot, supposedly, or, or what the deal was, but it did seem odd that Zabisco was portrayed as the weak link. Yeah, it was kind of like really quite the, uh, you know, not. it's not like Dusty was talking him up here. He's like, oh, I'm sure the horsemen have got a game plan, but he doesn't understand it, basically, um, which is not uh, the strongest of intros. Mm-hmm. Um so I think, well, this is a reasonably famous match, the War Games from 1991. Um, the Horseman and Larry uh, Zabisco with Arn uh, hobbling outside, taking on Sting, Flying Brian, and the Steiner Brothers, who on paper are an amazing-looking team. Uh, what do you make of this? The first War Games, the kind of main event, a pay-per-view, which I don't think uh, should be understated. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, they also had Tony Schiavone on the introductions here. And I just yes. uh, give the rules. Yeah, don't give up the day dog, Tony, because he uh, <laughs> he also did the introductions of the wrestlers too. Um, so uh, yeah, and now they're in a long line of uh, main events where Gary Michael Capetta gets to go home early. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice him talking on his phone uh, this time. <laughs> yeah, so he what, may have been. What did you make of this? Uh, so. It, good to see the War Games back, and this War Games is—I think it's an interesting, 
interesting one to analyze in the pantheon of all of them because there's a couple of things that set this War Games apart. The the finish is very memorable. I think the teams are really loaded on this one. There's a lot of big talent in the teams here. And there's a couple of absolutely tremendous performances. And we can start with the first five minutes because I do think this is the first uh, – I think this is the best opening period in War Games history where Pillman and Barry Windham kind of kick start a mini feud that'll take them through Super Brawl. Hmm. And it is just brutal. Windham is a bloody mess. Uh, they're potatoing the shit out of each other. Pillman gets hurled into the cage like a lawn dart. And then, and then you know, of course the Hills are going to win, but I was really pleasantly surprised that Flair was the next one in. I yeah. thought that added a lot to the match because I would have expected him or Sid to be the last. I, I, I'd actually forgotten when I rewatched it, and I was waiting on Larry Z to come in. And then when I saw uh, Flair come in, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So, so I mean, of course the match kind of builds off from that. And the uh, it, it, it carries a good pace, I I think the ending portion, once everyone gets in, is longer than usual in these things. Sometimes once you have everybody in the ring, it's just chaos. Mm. Uh, there's the great spot where all the baby faces lock on the figure four, which has the crowd in a frenzy. Uh, I mean, it's just a great classic match. I thought everybody played their role well. And then the, we get to the finish, which is my only, uh, my biggest knock with the matches. One is Sid's power bombs, which we have to talk about, which were really very dangerous. I don't think there's any other way to say it. Uh, unprofessional. And then I, I, I understand the narrative of trying to get the heel team over and trying to keep the babyface team strong. But El fucking Gigante coming out here. <laughs> crawling and checking on Brian Pillman. And then for someone who hasn't said nothing of note in a year, for him to be the one to make the uh, medical decision <laughs> to throw the match out is, is, is pretty astounding to me. I can't quite uh, wrap my hand around it. And, I mean, like, we know Rick Steiner is not usually a man for logic. So why he just accepted this Argentinian coming out here and ruling on this match, I'll never know. Uh, so that's a blemish against this match, but I, I, I still think it's a great match, a classic up there with the best war games matches. I went four and a half stars. Yeah. Well, um, I will say Chad that I will give this match the full five stars, um, yeah. which is, uh, you know, just because I don't even else goes five stars. Um, I'm gonna see. Have a look uh, here. Does um, Kelly go five stars too? Scott Keefe does go five star. Four and three quarters for Kelly. Right. Um, and the reason why is that I can't. I mean, apart from the bullshit with uh, El Gigante at the end there, um, which was that planned? Was that always planned to be the finish with him? Yeah. Or, or do they call it on the fly? I I think that was the planned finish. I can't imagine they would call an audible involving El Gigante, but uh, I mean it, it seemed like the the planned finish. Sid just was very unprotective on the power bombs. Maybe somebody with better knowledge can triple clarify that for us. 
but but I got the impression watching it again that that was the finish. Um, just that Sid was reckless performing the actual spot. I mean, those that power bomb on uh, on Pillman is famous, right? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Bot- Botchamania one on one, basically. But uh, Jesus, he kills him, doesn't he? I mean, he like how he didn't have a more serious like spinal injury or something from that. It's just because he hits him on the top of the cage, and then like it's brutal. That first power bomb is sick, and then he does it again. It's like oh, yeah. Geez. One thing with the one thing with the power bomb is like the you're in one fluid motion, so that kind of helps you swing your body through. And what happens here is Pillman's feet hit the top of the cage, and then Sid stops and just implants him straight down into the into the mat, which is very bad. But I, I do think it was the finish was planned because we had the Nick Patrick explanation yeah. uh, after the fact. So for if, if that was ad lib, that seems like a pretty far fetched uh, accomplishment. Um, no, he does say he amounts that this was the planned finish, even though okay. Pillman did end up uh, spending the night in hospital with muscle right. and ligament strains in his neck, um, and is going to be out of action for next couple of weeks. Um, and so I thought, like, there was a couple of great things about this. First of all, you go into this match expecting Zabisco to be the one who's going to submit, right? Yeah, yeah and, I would say so. And the baby faces to go over. And is this the first time the heels have won? War games? Uh, as far as I know, it is. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if they may have won on a house show, but yeah, I, th- I, I think these baby faces went over both um, on like the the eighties ones, right? So this was a surprise to see the horseman actually win. Um, I thought the I thought Pillman was phenomenal during this match. Like this is a career performance from him. I would suggest, like in terms of what he brings to this match, his selling. His um, that opening segment with Wyndham, mm-hmm. um, his like I thought all of that stuff was really good. Um, I did spot a couple of audibles on this match, especially uh, between uh, Rick Steiner and Sid. Do you notice that? Um, yes, it, like open communication basically between <laughs> the two of them. Um, so there was that. I guess that's a little knock against it. Um, but yeah, no, I just I mean I don't know what you say about it. this was carnage really. That section where everybody's in goes on for what ten minutes, something like that. Yeah, that's, that's I think I think the beginning and the ending are the most distinctive features of this war games because those are really long and uh, are really kind of different from your typical war games um, matches. I did think that Flair kind of gets lost in the mix in this match. Weirdly, like he doesn't yeah. like he just kind of gets lost in it. You know, you kind of forget he's there sometimes. Because um, this match really felt to me like it was all about it was all about Pillman, and and then when Sid comes in, he's obviously like a very dominant force in the match, and um, you know the, the Steiners obviously have to have their moments to shine as well. So yeah, it was kind of um, I enjoyed it though, and we got to see some uh, like this is unusually brutal for this period. Uh, this is kind of yeah. like the TBS era, I guess. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I can't uh, complain. I, I always feel weird, though. So, like, you t- I tend to give War Games five stars, the ones that work. But when I'm thinking of, like, Match of the Year candidates and things, I, I don't know. It always feels weird putting them in the mix. Do you know what I mean by that? 
Um, yeah, I, I can kind of see that. I mean, like uh, the the first War Games, which I like a little bit better than this one. But you know, when we did our '80s best of '80s things, uh, that that match like wasn't a contender to be my best match of the '80s. I didn't really consider it. Um, so so this match I have currently sitting. Let me see where I have it. I have this match sitting at number six on my 1991 watching so far. Mm. Uh, so so it's it's up there. I mean, it's certainly a match of the year candidate. But, yeah, I, I typically, I think next year's match, when we watch it again, next year's War Games will be the ultimate litmus test, uh, whether we think that's a true match of the year or not. Um. Yeah, well, the, the, the I mean, this one for WCW, I'd say this one for it's according to what you think about the uh, Randy Savage versus Ultimate Warrior spectacle. Hmm. Um, but but as far as WCW in nineteen ninety one, I think this is clearly the best match. And as far as WWF, I, I mean, I would say maybe Ultimate Warrior Randy Savage. And then probably then next you're looking at either Perfect versus Bret Hart from SummerSlam 91, which I, I like this match better than that, or the uh, maybe even the Desert Storm match from that June house show in MSG with Hogan and Slaughter. Those are probably your uh, two underneath matches under that. God, what a... What an embarrassment of riches, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. A, not a great year for... Uh, both WWL for especially WCW and Ring. I take it. I take that back. I've, um, I take back the WCW match of the year uh, because I forgot there's a match coming up at a clash real late right. in the year that may be my uh, match of the year. But it's it's one of the top matches in WCW for sure. What do we give Flair Luger Wrestle War? Oh, was uh, that, that... From 1990. Oh no, sorry, that was 1990. Of course. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, oh yeah, because when you had the one clash in '91, yeah, right. I only had that one kind of shoddy clash with a you know mid match of the night was a Terry Taylor match. So. <laughs> um, I, I think if this is a odds-on favorite to be match of the year, I think this uh, this War yeah. Games. Um, I will say um, for '91 WF, what about uh, DBRC versus Virgil, Chad? <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Sorry, I had to crowbar that in there. <laughs> so let's uh, let's have a look at our uh, end of show awards then. Um, so uh, this is going to be interesting. Well, match of the night, I think, is pretty obvious, right? Yeah, yeah, although, easy uh, for war games. Although I will say, if the war games wasn't on this card, um, that Luger versus Spivey match would have been a lock for most events. Like right. on an average event, that would have been match of the night. Yeah, I mean, you, one thing about this show overall, uh, as we talk about our end of show awards, is, I, I mean, two four star matches for me, and that does not happen a lot. I mean, one a show, for example, a show like WrestleMania eight, mm. I think you can make a good argument that uh, that the War Games is better than Flair versus Flair versus uh, Savage from that show, and then I think. Piper Hart versus Spivey Luger, maybe Piper Hart by a smidge, but they're pretty lateral. And then after after those two matches, which I think are fairly even, you start looking down the rest of the cards. And th- and this show 
by far surpasses that show. I mean, uh, Hanson Vader, the Taylor Zink match, uh, even the Freebirds matches, I think the Freebird tag match is comparable to like uh, Tito Santana versus Shawn Michaels or whatever. Well, I've got, I mean, apart from uh, State Patrol, Big Cat, uh, six-man tag, which wasn't a bad match at all, really. Um, I've got one. So I've got the Armstrong versus Eaton at three stars. Yeah. I've got Vader Hansen at three and a half stars. I've got Spivey Luger at three and three quarters. I've got Freebridge Doom at three and a half, <laughs> which I stand, yeah. which I stand by. I think it's still a good match. And the War Games <laughs> at five and the War Games at five stars. And I didn't get the Taylor Zenk. So and that um, women's Japanese tag sounds like it would have been. A, so all in all, a very solid, like a deceptive. I think I said to you on uh, our Facebook uh, communication, Chad, it's a deceptively kind of solid show, this. It's like... Absolutely. It slips in under the radar a little bit, doesn't it? I agree. I mean, it's a show that I think most people will remember for War Games, and even beyond that, like, isn't that where Pillman got powerbombed and almost died by Sid? Yeah. Uh, but, but as a top-to-bottom show, it feels... It feels like a really good show. I mean, it's a really strong show. It's a good watch. To, to me, this feels like the most solid top-to-bottom show since the 80s, basically, since 1989. I can't think of another car that's even comparable to this in terms yeah. of, like, because there was very little actual shit on the show either. Yeah, I mean, the, I think if you just saw that Southern Boys royal family, that's uh, yeah. kind of a, 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 that's a turd right in the middle of this thing, which... It's unfortunate because even if you take that away, I'm, I'm with you. But with that, I, I, I have to think back. I mean, uh, Howling Havoc 90 had some dead spots too. But, but yeah, that, certainly a thumb up, thumbs up show. Yes. No, seek this one out if you haven't seen it top to bottom. And uh, I guess with the network these days, people don't have any excuse, do they? They can just. just oh, yeah. Right you could follow right along. Yeah, good. Good for us, the network. Um, so, uh, yeah, match of the night is obviously the war games, but, uh, honorable mention to the Luger, uh, that Luger match. Um, so this is going to be interesting. MVP. Yeah. So MVP to me, there's two clear cut choices. Uh, one is Brian Pillman. Yeah. And then the uh, other one, which is the person I'm going to pick is Lex Luger. Right. And, uh, and, and I'm picking him just based because he was in a showcase singles match versus an opponent that, while he may have improved a little bit, I still don't think is good. And I thought he, Luger, clearly in that match, you could tell, was kind of running the show and uh, really crafted an amazing match to watch. It's an amazing match to watch. I mean, it's entertaining, but it's uh, really fun to watch the power moves and Luger come back from from being beaten down for so long. And I, I just love his performance in that match. Yeah. I agree that it's one of the better Lex performances, but um, I'm going to go with Pillman. And I'm going to go for it because, I mean, clearly Dusty has put him in a position to shine here. Or yeah. he's, put, he's put him in a prominent position so that you come out of that match thinking that Pillman was kind of a star, even though he he was the one who got killed, right? right. Um, so as a kind of star-making performance... We've seen guys be put in those sort of spots and fail, you know. And I thought Pillman basically was put in that spot and succeeded, passed it with flying colours, you know. 
Um, so that's the reason that I've gone with uh, Pillman there. He really is like, he puts in a shift there. So, um, yes, uh, Brian Pillman's my pick. Um, although it's close. Luger was, is really good in that match. Yeah, this is one of the closest uh, MVPs we've had. Yeah, I would, I would go along with that. Um, Billy Graham Award winner, and uh, this is more difficult, I think, because uh, this was a generally a solid show. Yeah, this was this was tough for me, and I, I don't really like going against uh, a non wrestler. <clears throat> but but with this show, I didn't think there was uh, that many bad performances in the ring, so I don't feel too bad giving this one to uh, Big Daddy Dink, just because <laughs> his his appearance, I, I I don't get it, I don't understand it, and. Um, and even with that finish, like him shoving Garvin on for the pin, it, it, it just kind of looked sloppy a little bit. And he, he just was a non-value add, so he weird, gets my... There's something weird about him, right? Like, has he ever added any value to any... Like, he's always, like, you know, Oliver Humperdinck, you know, when he was Bam Bam Bigelow's man. It's just like, he never adds any value to me. Right. Right. I, I don't understand his career at all. Did, yeah, I mean, I mean, he has kind of a unique look, but I, I agree with you. He never feels like, even if you want to get lesser-known managers, like someone like Sonny Ono or, or Slick feel more substantial than he does at even the, Even Harvey Whippleman. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yep. Right. So, uh, yeah. Um... Okay, I, I'm trying to think. Maybe we should make our question for the listeners this week about uh, about him. <laughs> Is there ever an angle where he was memorable? Yeah, give us good Big Daddy Dink, Oliver Humperdinck uh, moments, memories in uh, in wrestling. Yeah. We'll, we'll I'll seek some out on YouTube. Yeah, because I can't under I can't even understand how the guy had a career. Like I don't know if he was in a territory in the '80s of footage I haven't seen that I've missed and that he was spectacular in a role, but yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, one of my least favorite guys in all of wrestling. Um, um, who am I going to go with? Uh, I think that's a, not a bad pick, actually. Um, JYD has to be in contention just for just for existing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what about rookie referee Lee Scott? <laughs> he always makes bad calls. Um let me let me think a minute. Uh, could just give it to Jimmy Garvin just just for still being around. Uh, no, no, actually, Jimmy Garvin was pretty good in that match. I think I'm going to give it to the. <laughs> I think I'm going to give it to the sweepstakes winner. <laughs> the kid. Yeah. Who's your favorite team in the war games? Doom. You <laughs> had to answer one question. He got it wrong. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I can do that. But uh, that, yeah. that kid is <laughs> that kid is something. <laughs> really made me laugh. Um, I don't. I don't want to look at the record books when we finish 2001 and see Black Kid Sweepstakes <laughs> winner, it's a Billy Graham Award. That seems <laughs> it's very harsh. Um, ah, yeah. um, oh, it's gonna have to be, isn't it? Big Daddy Zinc. Yeah, Big it's Daddy. Gonna... It's gonna have to be. I think you. Good go. <laughs> good go. <code. laughs> 
So where do, where do we go from uh, where do we go from here? Is it the New Japan Super Show? Yeah, yeah. So uh, kind of a choose your own adventure. I don't know if we're going to have a mini production meeting here, but yeah, we could watch that New Japan Super Show, and uh, we probably should review that because it was shown on pay per view here. Has some interesting matchups, so uh, that'll probably be the next thing we'll do, and that'll lead right into Super Brawl. Yeah, and I, I also think that um, uh, it's worth looking at those um, New Japan Super Shows because there's what, like three of them, three of them. Like? Yeah, I mean, this one is the one that I don't know if we'll get to all of them. We, we may watch all of them, but this the first one feels like a really big, you know, deal, super show type deal. Uh, the second one, which is January 4 of 92, uh, it feels somewhat less that. And then the third one, it's kind of like there's a few WCW guys. So yeah. it, they, they get regressively less important feeling. But we'll for sure review the first one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, uh, this, is, this is kind of uh, on-air production meeting here, but... Um, like, uh, going forward, I know that a big talking point with a lot of the, uh, matches that take place, um, in, uh, 92 especially is, uh, it's always like a talking point with Scott Keith. It's typically like you say, oh, these two guys had a much better match in Japan last month type thing. Um, especially with Rick Rude, um, coming up. And, uh, I don't know if we want to watch some of those, uh, some of those matches. Um, yeah. I mean, we can certainly watch some of his uh, G1 Climax stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that's that's no big deal. Yeah. All right. Well, I know there's this narrative of like uh, Japanese wrestlers dogging it in the in the states, Chono Chono in particular. And uh, you know, what we may end up doing is we already have a TV special. Yeah. So what we may end up doing for the later years, because, you know, eventually we'll get this, a lot of the cruiserweight guys over there. Mm. So we might do a uh, WCW Wrestlers in Japan special as well, where we pick, uh, you know, 10 matches. Yeah. Well, I just have in mind that there are a couple of, like, five-star matches that take place in the next couple of years, like reasonably famous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, is there one between uh, Flair and uh, uh, Fujinami? That they give uh, uh, well, well, Flair and Tenru have a really good match from '93, but we still have a good ways to get there. All right, okay. And uh, remember, listeners, uh, our question for the week is all about Oliver Humperdinck. Has he ever had anything decent in his entire career? <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, uh, so long for now. Fans for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts. And the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.